This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 202. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lan Ramayasha. And today we continue on with a string of Toriyama manga-related podcast episodes going all the way back to our beloved creator's most earliest works and some of his shorter works that go beyond Dragon Ball or Dr. Slump's two big hits, like various short one-shots and miniseries he published during the publication and before his big hits. We're going to talk about them all compiled together in the Akira Toriyama Manga Theater Collection, finally published by Viz Media at the tail end of last year. And we have on some great guests to talk about it, including Darren Vaught, who is working on the Jump Tales American Manga magazine, as well as just an incredible comics artist and illustrator, also host of the Comics Jam podcast, Comics on the Spot. And we have one of the foremost Dragon Ball and Akira Toriyama historians on the show to talk about this incredible collection as well. We have Mike from Consensu Vigi. Vito EX, one of the founders of Consensu, host of Consensu the podcast. It was so great to have him and have Darren on to just talk about these classic works from Toriyama and really see how he develops as an artist, as a storyteller, see the influences in how Dr. Slump will come about, how Dragon Ball will come about from ideas and stories from these early one-shots and miniseries. And it's really, really fun to read to the collection and see over what is just under a 15-year span of time just the evolution of Toriyama as a creator and as an artist into one of the all-time greats. And it's just really fantastic that this collection was finally published. It was fantastic we could get Darren and Mike on to talk about it with us, and it went for a great discussion. Oh my god, yeah. This was this was this was really great. I mean I, I think we had some really good guests on this time around. I mean, you know, uh, I in particular, I, I love Darren's work. Uh, I love their art. They're one of my favorite artists to follow on Twitter. Like, I just I just love his stuff. Also, we should probably mention when you're listening to this, hopefully when you see our post on uh, on MangaMavericks.com and our uh, our Twitter post, thank you to Darren for, like, offering to draw up a thumbnail for us. Yeah, a very special thumbnail from a great artist. It was really, really cool of him to offer to do that. And it just makes this podcast even more special. Oh my god, we're Toriyama characters now. Can you believe that? It's just so good. Like you you could tell he really put in the time and um like I'm just kind of flabbergasted that like someone actually offered to like draw us a thumbnail on their on their own. Like that was really nice of Darren and we really appreciate his work cuz like man, we got something that great for free. Like I feel kind of bad almost. <laughs> It's just so good. And yeah, th- thank you to Darren for um, for drawing that for us. So great. Definitely go check that out on our website and on Twitter. And uh, I mean, also having Mike on was honestly a huge honor because we, we might have mentioned it all throughout the discussion. I don't remember. But, you know, obviously, we're we both are huge fans of Konzenshu. I've been listening to Konzenshu, I guess, back then it was Daisenshu. But I've been listening to that podcast since... I want to say 2010, 2011. I've been listening to it for a very, very long time. 
I was in high school when I when I started listening to that podcast, and it just really opened up a new side of Dragon Ball that I never really like interacted with because I really wasn't like familiar with the Japanese side of Dragon Ball at all until I stumbled on the Konzenshu, and I and I just and I just wanted to look for a Dragon Ball podcast to listen to because I just wanted to hear people talk about Dragon Ball. Like, it's, it's just kind of weird for me to, like, have someone on I've been listening to for almost, I think, over 10 years at this point uh, and actually, like, have a conversation with them. It's a little surreal, but in in a good way. Like, I really enjoyed having Mike on, and I, I hope that we can have him on again in the future for something else because it was really fun to talk to him. Yeah, no, I feel very much the same. It was really awesome to have Mike on after listening to him for so many years, following Consensu and their great work on reporting and Dragon Ball history for so, so long. It was really great, excellent to have him on to talk about these really important pieces of manga history, of Toriyama's history, and as we discussed, in the history of the development of Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball itself so it was just fantastic to talk to him about all of that and we had a great combo on it for sure for sure but yeah i don't think we have anything to talk about at the top of the show and un- unless we want to gush more which we probably should and we should probably we should probably get on to our actual discussion of akira toriyama's manga theater collection let's jump in our jimneys and speed on down to our discussion of toriyama's manga theater Slump and Dragon Ball are Kira Toriyama's blockbuster franchises, then the one-shots and miniseries collected in his manga theater are the many pilots that helped him explore refine ideas that would later be incorporated into his bigger hits, or short films that served as creative reprieves that gave him the freedom to tell stories outside of their confines. However you want to think of them, the short-form manga Toriyama published before and during his serialized works represent important stepping stones in his development as an artist and the development of two of the biggest manga series of all time, and thus an indelible part of manga history. Finally officially translated and published in English by Viz Media for the first time last December, we're taking the time slicker for a trip back in time to cover this curated selection of Toriyama's work produced over a roughly 16-year period between 1978 and 1994, a period of time also arguably reflecting the golden age of Weekly Shonen Jump itself. Originally titled in Japan as Akira Toriyama's Blank Peace Theater, is this collection of stories a masterpiece or a disaster piece? A poopy piece or a cuckoo peepee piece? Or as Toroshina would say, a rejected piece? Well, joining us on the show to help us answer this question are two fantastic guests from different but equally wild representatives on Toriyama's work, 
Darren Vaught, comics artist and graphic designer who is a contributor and local designer for the Manga Inspired Comics Anthology Magazine Star Tales and the host of the Comics Jam Podcast Comics on the Spot, and Mike, who you may also know online as Vegito EX, a veteran of Dragon Ball Territory on my fandom for over 25 years, and none other than one of the co-founders of the internet's premier English language Dragon Ball fan site, Wiki and Community, Consentu, and the host of Consentu the Podcast. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show to talk Toriyama with us today. Chanos, hello. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I don't have anything prepared like that, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're so excited to extend a howdy, hoyo, hello to y'all. Let's talk about Toriyama today. We're big fans of your guys' work. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's just going to be a fun time, I think, talking about Toriyama and like his classic kind of one shots that you know we again this is the first time we've been gotten them officially in english and that's just so exciting for your long time toriyama fans oh my god yeah I, I i i can't i can't believe i'm even like holding this in my hand right now it's just it's kind of amazing <laughs> i felt the same way it was unbelievable and <laughs> <laughs> hardcover with the the treatment they gave it like it is nice yeah Regrettably, I'm still waiting for my physical copy. Oh, I have man. the digital, but uh, my physical copy is locked up in a right stuff order that is not shipped out uh, after three months. So oh, no. <laughs> I'll get it one of these no. days. But, you know, I was very, very happy to read through it. And yeah, I mean, I have been to a bookstore, I've seen and held the book in my hands and flipped through it, and the quality is just fantastic. They did give this the release it really deserved. Mm-hmm. Also, it's probably worth noting, um, we mentioned this on our show a couple episodes back at this point, but you could just read all this on the Shonen Jump app, which is also equally amazing. Absolutely. Super accessible, yeah, super that's affordable. Yeah, just really, really easy to read through just this collection of really interesting chapters. But before we like kind of get into the book, like, let's just, you know, kind of give a background a little bit more on what manga theater actually is. And, I mean, I could go through it, but Mike, I mean, you're like the big Dragon Ball historian expert. Would you like to describe the background of the one-shots in this collection? Yeah, so Toriyama, obviously, as you mentioned, so well-known for Dr. Slump. Uh, something I don't know that a lot of English-speaking fans quite understand. Toriyama was already one of the richest people in Japan and a household name before Dragon Ball existed. Like, Dr. Slump was at that level. Um, Dragon Ball was the hit success that no one needed. No one needed what we deserved. Something like that. There's a line in there somewhere. So it's incredible. But along the way, he had been doing all these things. And as a professional artist, you you don't just start with a giant series like Dr. Slump. There's there's a beginning to it along the way. Uh, and as we've seen from Jump over the years, you know, some, maybe someone starts with a one shot. Maybe that turn, you know, Romance Dawn turns into like three different Romance Dawns and eventually you get one piece out of it. Something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Toriyama certainly did the same thing where he had some rejected works and eventually did get published. We'll certainly talk about Wonder Island. <coughs> Wonder Island's terrible. Uh, we'll talk more about Toriyama's works in the years, but... <laughs> Uh, it, it, it all it starts there, and yeah, the, this is a collection of it. Uh, as you mentioned, it's actually three collections in one here in the English release. So, Blank Piece Theater, um, Volume One came out in July 1983. Again, think about that time. Dragon Ball didn't exist yet. Yeah, oh, yeah, year before. There was already enough Toriyama stuff to collect as a one-shot collection before Dragon Ball existed. Um, that's how prolific he was. Um, volume 2 in March 88, so Dragon Ball had been going for a few years. And then a big jump, almost 10 years. Volume 3 came out in August 97. 
Um, and there have been some other little collections over the years. They did a remix line of this where they popped in like Nekamajin stuff. Um, and then there was an Emperor's Feast of Toriyama that are two little uh, Bunko volumes, different kind of collections. But yeah, the, the Toriyama collections, man, one shots. Here they are. Yeah, it is just incredible that he did a lot of the one-shots and miniseries in this collection alongside his serialized work. That's just an insane amount of extra mm-hmm. workload he was putting upon himself in creating this. Oh, you say put upon himself. It, it was well, kind of like Torishima going, yeah. <laughs> dude, dude, write some more stuff, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he kind of got roped in three years in a row doing this, like, artist contest for Weekly right, Shonjo right. Reader's Choice Award where he had to work on the, he's like at the start of every year, including with one of them during his New Year's break with Chobit. <laughs> Locking himself in a hotel room on New Year's Eve. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, and then a lot of, some of these other ideas also came about because just six months into Dr. Slump, according to Torijima in his Forbes interview, Toriyama was fed up with trying to come up with gag storylines and he wanted to make something else. But of course, Jump Editorial wouldn't let him unless he came up with an idea that was more popular and had more potential. So they changed their work schedule to working like five days a week on Dr. Slump and then the other two days during on Toshima would like try and brainstorm ideas for other stories. Jeez. And so some of these <laughs> came out of that, but it's just insane. Like on top of like doing like a full serialization every week, he was also trying to work on other projects on the side on his weekends essentially it's just man really put himself through a lot of work uh even though he you know according to his own personality has more of a lackadaisical like kind of oh i'll put this off to the barrel do this under the wire kind of thing but just speaks to his talent as an artist that he could like manage to complete all this work like right by the deadline and get it yeah in. don't don't listen to toriyama he's not forgetful he's not lazy um no. he gives himself too much crap he's he's a, a genius that he doesn't want to admit to Oh, absolutely. A lot of us comic artists <laughs> put in a lot of uh, work um, at like really, really high costs. No, totally. I mean, in the creative process, you come One up with page so is hard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It just... Drawing is time consuming and very difficult. And even like geniuses like Toriyama, who like are much speedier drawings, like he mentioned, like, oh, I can ink a page in an hour if I'm on the on the ball with this. You know, it's like, man, that's incredible uh, workload and speed. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much work that goes into the development of comics uh, and art that we as readers don't often see. Like even with the one shots in this collection, you know, we have like four one shots to predate Dr. Slump that is through these reading these one shots, we can see development ideas that will later appear in Dr. Slump with both Wonder Islands, Tomato Cutesy Jumps Chew, and Highlight Island. But even with Old Dad, with those four published one-shots, according to Toriyama and Toroshima, you know, he had done 500 pages worth of rejected manga <laughs> that just never went anywhere before he finally <laughs> came up with, you know, the draft of the idea that would become Dr. Sun. So in addition to these four one-shots, you see, he did like so, he did like essentially a, another two and a half volumes worth of manga that he he drafted out that just got rejected by Toshima and will probably never see the light of day, which is just insane. Yeah, I mean, th- there's so much work there. and But then there's also two... Uh, he, he made two one shots before this like actual ones there was awawa world and mysterious rain jack which um you know if you directly draw star wars into your comic you can't exactly <laughs> release it <laughs> so um, those ended up getting um compiled in his birdland press um like personal fan newsletter at some point uh, and i believe the masters are lost to time so oh, it's kind of like it is but oh, yeah man. i mean 
he had stuff that he did. Uh, you said rain jack. Is that not um one of the shorts? Is uh pink the rain yeah, jack story? Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. kind of a so you <laughs> offshoot of it? Uh yeah. You hear those names and words and ideas come up time and time again. You talk about uh, a barren wasteland without water, and maybe he'll revisit yeah. that yep. again <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Many repeated motifs and themes and ideas. Hey, you heard the story about a boy and a girl to go on an adventure. (laughs) You're going to hear it five more times and like it. Um, No, my my favorite thing about this collection is uh, I I think the because obviously they compiled like all of his comments in the back from like these separate volumes. Um, I I love how Toriyama's just like, yeah, I made all this manga and I I can't even I can't believe they even bothered like publishing these because they all suck and they're bad. And I'm like, these are like uh, Toriyama at his worst are still like some of some of like the most fun I have with comics, quite honestly. Yeah, the most creative, like wild (laughs) concepts and ideas. That's such a comic artist thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like these are comics. <laughs> these first ones in particular were like really playing with the form of comics and how the characters interact with the elements of a comic page are like just such oh man, I just love that kind of playfulness. But it's also nice just reading those author comments and seeing Toriyama talk about like, ah oh, man, I'm not really proud of my early record and he's in the second one he's like, Oh man, I'm just so busy, I don't have as much time to play with my son. And then the third one is very satisfying where it's like, ah oh, man, now that I don't have to do long series anymore, I can just just take care of my pets and I can get like fish. This is great. I'm not <laughs> returning to do long forms your last manga. <laughs> I can't even believe they got him to do um Jacko, honestly. I can't even believe we got that. Like I, I don't I don't blame him for not wanting to do comics anymore, honestly. No, he doesn't have to. I mean he's separately put in all his hard work. He's he's earned his keep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, these stories, they have quite a bit of history that um and I mean, we also have, you know, our own personal histories with Toriyama's work. Like before we get into talking about the release by Viz and then the stories themselves, let's just go over kind of our relationship to Toriyama and our perspective on his work going into it. And Colton and I, you know, we kind of already did that years ago in our Dragon Ball episodes. And I'm sure we'll bring it up in some form again when we do our Dr. Slump episode soon. So I want to turn it over to you guys, Mike and Darren, to just go over your relationship to Toriyama as an artist star. You want to go first, Mike? So I've been running a Dragon Ball website. Hey, kids, remember what websites are? <laughs> you have a little web address in your computer. Uh, since January 1998. So my website is old enough to drink. It's older than a lot of people who visit it. It's it's an old relic of internet past. Uh, I discovered Dragon Ball in September 1996. That is when Funimation's English dub of Dragon Ball Z debuted in syndication in North America. Uh, the story I've told myself all these years, and I think it's still accurate, is I had a friend, I was in high school at the time, saw a cool show one week and he said hey check it out next week and that would have been episode two so that's how long i've been into it it was love at first sight Uh, and i just had to dedicate myself and my life to this property and this author and here i am it's 2022 (laughs) i'm still doing this stuff so yeah i i run a website you know it started as a links page and just evolved over time we cover news we have in-depth guides uh, we have full translations of ancient magazine articles. I, I'm looking over at my bookshelves here. You folks don't even want to know just how much crap I have in this room um, dedicated to this series and this <laughs> author. Um, we love Dragon Ball. And we love Toriyama. We think it's a, an amazing thing. I work with a couple really great buds on Konzenshu. Uh, we want to preserve history. We want to provide the context behind it. We're not so much interested in 
dare I say, you know, who could beat who on what day. It's, <laughs> it's more about who said what at what time and how did that shape the evolution of the franchise and Toriyama as an author. We want to provide all that background, that history to everyone. Um, and that's why I think <laughs> Toriyama's manga theater is such an important piece of history for Dragon Ball and um, for Toriyama as an author. No, absolutely. I mean, I have been a visitor and relied on your site for news and history and all sorts of information over the years. And it's really enriched my understanding of the series. And Toriyama's an author. You know, as That's a great to hear. So, yeah, no. I, I can also speak from this too. Like, I, I've been listening to Consensu since I was in high school. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I sent uh, I sent an email to the uh, to the show at one point about how like your backlog of podcasts really got me through a lot of like soul crushing menial tasks I had to do back in the day, like doing stuff from my local library and everything. And that's just how I filled my time was just listening to you guys. So oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. And, and I mean, also, you know, we talked about Dragon Ball so much that I just had to start up my own like watch through podcast and other you know, the venture. Um, and any <laughs> and any like factoid I've retained about Dragon Ball that I mentioned on the show comes from you guys. So I, I have to thank you guys for literally anything I have to talk about on my own show. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to be the shadow in the background. We have our fingers and <laughs> everything. Whether you know it or not, you are referencing Konzenshu. All <laughs> oh! part of the massive Konzenshu web of influence. Exactly. Konzenshu, the real Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> don't tell. <laughs> but Darren, I'm also interested in your relationship with Torian's work. Like, I definitely could tell some influences of him in your comics, and also, you know, you've been on a real Torian. Can you really? Because that's awesome to hear. <laughs> I will. I will take any comparison that you can throw my way. And um, yeah, uh, uh, for me, it's a tale as old as time. I guess uh, watching it as a kid. I think I started out when um, the the Boo Saga was airing. So I know there's some people that aren't as into that as um, as some of the others, but. Uh, that's when I went really like hard into the series. Um, of course, as a kid, I would just like buy all the uh, VHS copies with like three episodes on it, like that were ahead of Toonami's schedule and just get really excited about it. I'd pretend to throw like Kamehameha waves uh, in my uh, room <laughs> and act like I'm getting hit by them, too, and all that stuff. Uh, eventually, I found out that it was a comic, of course. Um I think I had seen, I think they used to make like little floppies. Yeah, um, yep, sure did. Yeah, before they started collecting them in graphic novel form. But uh, at some point I started collecting the graphic novels. I, I can't speak to how much um, his work started influencing me then, but I'm sure it was a lot. And at some point I was just like, I got to seek out all the rest of this guy's work. Uh, at the time, I guess Kawa and Sandland were the only things that were out from him. And I'm not sure what time that was, but uh, I went through those. And um, over the last couple of years, I've been begging for this uh, manga theater collection. And finally, we have it. So I breezed through that. I just, again, went through Kawa, Jocko, and Sandland. And I take a ton of inspiration um, from his work. Whether I even like enjoy each individual story or not, I see so much value in like all of the art that is on like any page that Toriyama has ever drawn. No, absolutely. I mean, I just want to ask, like, in terms of like, what specific like artistic elements, like what specific like kind of techniques or the way Toriyama draws comics like appeals to you and like inspires you so much as an artist? 
I think it especially clicked when I watched, uh, I wish I could tell you where I um, saw this video on YouTube, but it was like dissecting the panel layouts that Toriyama does because he's an excellent draftsman. Um, Specifically, you'll see, I think one of the first pages of Dragon Ball is um, Goku jumping off like this cliff into um, the ocean to like catch a a fish or something. And it's this tall vertical panel and you see... Goku jumping like and you feel the height of it you feel him like splash into it and the way that your eye is led from him jumping to falling into it and so on and so forth like he has this mastery of leading your eye and I try to capture that as much as I can totally like his lance and the way he can draw your attention across the page is just so seamless and masterful it's one of the things i appreciate so much about him as an artist is just how he can immerse you in the pace of his comics and just keep you reading like never feeling like there's any break Mm -hmm, for sure and he's trying to like break the mold plenty too uh there's all kinds of gags where um a character's sound effects or whatever breaking the panel yeah or they're using the panel to do something or a character's getting squished by a word bubble. <laughs> like there's, he's always trying something different and it's just really, really fun to look at. And like, I, I want to take as much inspiration from that as I can. No, totally. That is what was super appealing about his playfulness, wit, again, the form of comics, the elements of a comics page and how his characters interact with them. Just like giving a physicality to the sound effects that they can interact with the characters. The characters will interact with with panel borders and the gutters is just so so <laughs> enthralling and creative as a kid reading dr slump and when you would do that in dr slump that is just a huge inspiration to me and so a lot of my early comics as a kid were super inspired by dr slump to the point i had like a lot of <laughs> ocs <laughs> that were just direct ripoffs of dr slump characters like i had a guy like mashirito with same hairstyle i had a character called pickle man that was just superman <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> so yeah, no. That's... I mean, I probably did plenty of uh, rip-off Dragon Ball Z comics uh, as a kid. <laughs> Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of learning to draw just <laughs> reading Dragon Ball and Slump and imitating Toriyama's style. But, yeah. No, I mean, I knew you were, like, super excited for this one-shot collection. And so that's why we really want to have you on. Also, you've been doing a lot of reading of his stuff recently so you got a lot of fresh perspective and points of comparison you know coming into show. i went down a rabbit hole oh yeah it started with the the collection and then i was like well uh now i want to reread the other ones i even got started back on dragon ball but i'm like am i really gonna go the whole way through it <laughs> maybe you, maybe once I you will. start that reread it's hard to put it down every time you think oh, I'll just, oh yeah i'll just pick up a book and read maybe just a couple chapters or and then you're like no i gotta reread the entire story and then six hours pass <laughs> like 10 whole volumes in one sitting or whatever um no i i definitely had a big urge to read more of his stuff while i was uh going through this collection i i, I like in the back of my mind i thought Am I just gonna reread all of Dragon Ball for like the third or fourth <laughs> time? Because I'm I'm kind of thinking about it. I might do that in my off time. Uh, I also really want to go back and like because we also talked about um, Sandland a couple years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. But I I almost kind of want to like go back and revisit it. I also 
I don't remember what I did with it. I think I sold it off for something, but I'm kind of regretting it because it's like, uh-huh. I kind of want to just rebuy that. I yeah. kind of want to own that again. And, and I really want to revisit it now that I've like read more of his work because I don't know if I had like a whole lot of strong feelings about it back when we covered it. So I, I thought we had like a 40 minute convo on it from what I recall. But yeah, no, I think I totally we could revisit. There's still more we could extrapolate, <laughs> especially like after reading this collection. It's like, oh, well, now after reading Pink, it's like, oh, okay <laughs> he revisits some ideas from pink and sandland okay and then some of the other stories is like oh yeah now we can bring that perspective into it having read that yeah for all of the single volume works uh, that i've uh reread uh kawa sandland and jocko uh on second and third rereads i appreciate it more every mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. for sure no totally so you know I- i've talked about this on other shows before, like, you know, obviously I got in the Toriyama stuff through Dragon Ball. That's not really interesting to talk about at all, because who 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 doesn't get into his <laughs> stuff through Dragon Ball? Like, you know, this it just happens. But I, I don't think like reading through this collection, and I think I, I think it was around when we when I reread Dragon Ball for our huge podcasts on it back in the day. You know, I think that was around the time I really started to appreciate and really recognize the craft of his work. And I think ever since then, you know, because um, at the time of this recording, we're also preparing for a Dr. Slump episode that should be out after this. Um, so I've actually been reading through Dr. Slump for the first time because I've been wanting to read it for years and years at this point. I just never had the chance to. And now that I have, it's like, oh, man, like Toriyama is like, like so much better than I even thought in the first place. Like I just, <laughs> I just love his comics so much more, you know, after reading all of his non Dragon Ball stuff. Like I just, I didn't think I could love his works more than I already do, but I think reading through Dr. Slump and reading through this collection, like I kind of fell in love with this stuff all over again. Like it was kind of an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll talk about it more in the Dr. Slump episode, but Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball, I got into them at the same time, because when I got into the manga, it's 2005, Dr. Slump is just coming out. So when I picked up DBZ OM18, I was like, oh, promo for Toriyama's other work. And so I started reading it at the same time, essentially. But yeah, just fell in love with the comics back then. But Dr. Slump is a series I read several times over the years. But like in this latest time, I was like, hmm, it's been a while. Am I going to love Dr. Slump as much as I did before? And I'm like, no, immediately upon reading the first one, I'm like, no, this is one of the greatest comics ever. <laughs> I love this so much. I love Toriyama's creativity. And yeah, it's just been fun to go back and forth between this collection and Dr. Slump, especially with the early one shots and seeing like, oh, here's some influences. Here's some where some of these ideas that would reappear in Dr. Slump originate. So very, very fun. But I think we're all uh, you, me, and Darren are kind of on the same page where we didn't really have much experience with these actual stories in the the manga theater before. I actually want to ask Mike, you know, you have had a longer history with Torino's work. Had you read a lot of these stories before? And so what were your expectations going into them and rereading them? Had your opinions changed on some of them? How has your perspective on these early Toriyama stories changed? Uh, yeah, I, I do have a, a rich history with these. I've had the collected volumes in Japanese since you know, earliest days of my buying Japanese stuff. Uh, we actually own a lot of the original, whether it's Weekly Jump or Fresh Jump, we have a lot of these original publications uh, from when they were originally serialized in our in the Kanzenshu archives. I love all of them, and I have read most of them before. There were some uh, scanlations back in the day, uh, you know, 
20 plus <laughs> years ago for a, a lot of this stuff. There's a group called Toriyama's World that did a bunch of them. Uh, and they were fairly accurate going back and looking at some of them. It's kind of wild how, how decent they were at the time. So, I mean, oh, wow. this stuff has, has been in wild internet circulation for for a long time uh and of course as part of content we have my best bud julian who lives in japan's fluent translates stuff so him and i have uh dove into a lot of these before done breakdowns especially with dragon boy and tongpu talking about them in relation to dragon ball so uh, yeah this is just a, another chance for me to uh, kind of get reacquainted with a lot of these series especially having a different translator on it i know you want to talk about some of the production behind it but greg warner uh-huh. greg and i go back to yahoo chat rooms in 1990 I mean, um, so just wild kind of reading his take on these and he may or may not have had a little birdie in his ear talking to him at some point along the way, uh, <laughs> trying to push some agendas on terminologies or something. Maybe I don't know the details. Oh, um, I love all of this stuff. So you have someone say, hey, you want to come talk about these? Like, yeah, I do. I'll reread them for the billionth time. Let's go. Yeah. Now that's really cool. Now it is super awesome that Greg got to be the translator of this, you know, having one of like the kind of super premier influential DBZ fan sites from back in the day with the ultimate DBZ info site, you know, long time Dragon Ball fan. Uh, and so it's just amazing that he's he was able to translate this collection. That's just so cool. And yeah, like the localization, it's glad to hear from your perspective like oh it's you know fairly accurate from what we'd expect and it is it reads pretty well it reads great yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you know i trust drag and also you know ace crispin friend of the show uh we love their lettering work and they did a phenomenal job oh my god yeah uh lettering the book and like their sfx replacements especially look just so a part of the art they complement toriyama's own english sfx art just really really well uh they just did some phenomenal work on this so you know once again he's just killing it yeah i kind of wanted to chime in on that because i'm I'm a dirty purist. I want the original art. I feel, especially with Toriyama, when one of the things that brought him to Torishima's attention was the way that he would do English lettering on the page. Like yeah. it's baked into mm-hmm. Toriyama's art and DNA. And so I feel like to alter that in any way is kind of a disgrace to the original artwork. But this is what Viz does. This is what Viz has always done, as opposed to their, you know, their their weekly and monthly um, simul pubs. They'll they'll keep it and do the notes or whatever. Um, that said, that first wah into the wow in Wonder Island, like it's perfect. It's got the little cracks on the letters. You would never know. Um, it's beautiful in that regard. So in terms of readability, it's perfect. Uh, you know, I still want the original artwork because it's Toriyama. Yeah, you know, it's I Toriyama feel that, yeah. Toriyama's an artist. I, that, that's what I want. But uh, it's perfect. <laughs> that all said, it's perfect. No, I totally understand your perspective. Like, oh, like the art, the sound effect littering that he did is just a lot of the parts and appeal of the original art. Kind of in the same way with Iraqi's work. One of the few sure, works yeah. where Viz does not replace the SFX. But I mean... I think, you know, doing this style and because, you know, uh, Slump and Dragon Ball also had SFX replacement, uh, stays a little bit consistent with that. But also Ace just, I think, did a good job with matching kind of the, the look and feel of those original texts. And uh, especially like with some of the more dynamic SFX lettering, like in, I mean, the one that really stood out to me is like, man, like both Toriyama's original and then Ace replacement stuff was so good as Madmatic. Like that just has some of the coolest yeah, stuff, yeah. all the different SFX. There were times that. I had to check like what 
did, did they change this? Oh, no, they did. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, if you're fooling me, then you're doing all right. Yeah. Mad Maddox had a lot of really cool SFX. Yeah. I was just going to say real quick. So I, we, I've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times, but I, you know, if Viz were doing this back like 10 or 15 years ago, I'd have issues because I'm not a fan of a lot of Viz's like earlier lettering work, especially with the sound effects replacement. But I, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the new people they have be, uh, compared to back then do a better job than back in the day. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with their with their work just in general nowadays. I think they do great work. That being said, I also want to mention. Um, I think I mentioned in my Twitter thread uh, today's highlight island has a lot of my favorite lettering personally. I, I love the way Ace handled a lot of that stuff. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, no, totally. I think there are a lot of cool text and mess effects in that. Mm-hmm. Like the ah contest screens and he's like running to the school. Like even just the brainstorm page, just looking through it. Like, yeah, that had some really fun stuff. It's a little bubbly too, so I think I like how it kind of reflects kind of a, a softer aesthetic of Toriyama's early work too. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, so I think localization is very, very strong in terms of translation and lettering and SFX replacement. Uh, There is, I know that some people were worried like there would be some censorship and editing kind of like a slump had uh, a little bit of that, you know, quite a bit of that. And of course, Dragon Ball's early localization to two. I think, of course, the big thing, and I think kind of, you know, understandfully, rightfully, is that, of course, black characters, Toriyama drew them with the full lips, uh, the black Sambo caricature. Those mostly end up getting erased, I think, for the better. Uh, especially in the last few stories, like Dub and Peter and in Go Go Ackman. So, you know, I'm not, uh, that is censorship to the art, but and I'm, I personally am not too uh, up and bothered by that. But again, turning it back to you, Mike, was there anything else that you noticed or in terms of like changes to the art or things that might have bothered you? There are little things here and there, even less about the art. It was just like little turn of phrases like I wouldn't necessarily do it that way. Um, there's a line in um, was it Cashman. I think it is where it's a reference to next dimension. Yeah, that that really caught me off guard. <laughs> like, okay, Greg, I get it. Like, sure, fine, but it's it's just Anosekaye. Uh, it's like send you to the next world, the next life. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's funny to me. I was there, but I, I don't know that that's what I would have committed to the page kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I think it was was it just the name of Suncho's car? Or was it? Pochi turned into something else like Rover or something like that. Um, but that's a readability thing too. Like for an English speaking audience, just turning one generic word into another generic name. Fine. No, totally fine. That kind of stuff. And that's the kind of thing. It gives me things to write on a wiki page. So whatever. Yeah. No, there was one joke that I was like, oh, that was a playful joke on Greg's part. Like at some point, like someone said, oh, I'd like to inspect her gadgets. And I was like, okay, that can't have been the original <laughs> oh, thing from Toriyama. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, there's a bunch of turns of phrase and puns in the Highlight Island chapter that I'm sure, like, Greg had to work to kind of figure out and adapt. Though I think it, it ended up working up well with the art. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember if I was talking to him or if Julian was talking to him and, like, secondhand through it. But I know he was looking up a bunch of, like, pop culture references of the day, like, that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, there's so much to put in context there. Mm-hmm. Just to go back to that Next Dimension live real quick. Look, I... Yeah, yeah. I respect Greg for seeing an opportunity and seizing it. That that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, it's fun. It's cheeky. <laughs> but I think that's kind of the 
the fun part of having, you know, a long time Dragon Ball fan in the language community, you know, being able to sprinkle in a way that feels like natural, but, you know, if you know, you, you can get the reference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's not wrong, but it's an intentional reference. That, um, all right, cool. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, I guess the only other aspect of the localization that, you know, I can speak to not having, like, had that much experience with the physical book, it's just your guys' overall, like, thoughts on the, the book in terms of, like, it being hardcover, paper quality, you know, just any other thoughts on that. I mean, it's beautiful. It's in... It's in line with Jojo and Fist and the North Star. I mean, it's a premium treatment to Toriyama for something that he deserves. Uh, release Kajika, you cowards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some clear love uh, put into into like the actual physical copy. Uh, the nice little color pages in the front. Yeah, like all the little designs in here and there. Um, just the way it's laid out. It. I mean, it is definitely a love letter to his work. Mm-hmm, for sure. It just makes me want more. Like, I need it. You know, I joke about Kajika. Yeah, like, give me Kajika. Absolutely. Give me Nekomajin. Give me all this other stuff. I need it. I'm not joking. I want them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No jokes I've, here. I definitely <laughs> sent at least an email or two to Viz about releasing Nekomajin. Like, hey, I want this. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it must have worked because, like, after, you know, so many decades, you're finally getting this collection. But, yeah, I mean, hopefully it, this does well that we finally get the rest of this, like, unreleased Toriyama stuff published oh, yeah. in English. Like, that Kamajin is crazy with the explicit Dragon Ball connections that Kamajin has. That is, only one chapter was ever published in Jump. We know they have Nekomajin. They have it. They have it. They can give it to you. No, it's Yeah. <laughs> They have released one chapter before. It exists. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I read it in that jump issue. So my question back to you all is, this is three volumes combined into one. How do you want to do this? Yeah, I mean, my idea is that we would try and go through them in order just because from the history standpoint, it's kind of interesting to track the development of the stories and like recurring motifs and concepts and stuff. Obviously, though, there's are 21 stories. So that's going to take a long time. But I got it. You, you, we're done. Wonder Island, bad. Gal Detective Tomato, kind of bad. Oh. Android, bad. bad <laughs> medic. From here on out, everything's great. Okay, well, I guess that's the short pitch. I oh, think. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. All right, Island, bad. All right, everything else is good. Oh my God! So you're really coming out strong against us. It really works. <laughs> I love Toriyama. Mm. This stuff so I need. I need to get this out there, Mike. I have to respectfully <laughs> disagree with you on Wonder yeah, Island in particular. Um, the, the the first one I actually think is really really fun. The second one, I will admit, I think is, it's fun, but it's also, it feels kind of self-indulgent. Second one's over the place. It takes like 10 pages of the 16-page story to get to Wonder Island. <laughs> Two pages are spent on an Ultraman. <laughs> the police and just average, they just waste two pages. Ultraman, it starts here and it never ends. <laughs> There's no such thing as a waste of pages with Toriyama. No, I mean, Ultraman recurring uh, reference in these one shots. Like, you know, Tomato, she sings the Ultraman team over the radio. So, all right. Well, again, so in history, yeah, like Wonder Island was Toriyama's debut professional published work. He had, like we were saying, you know, 500 pages of rejected stuff. Uh, Rejected? Toriyama, thank you very much. Uh, It's not a well-crafted comic because he's not 
an established artist yet. Like he's still just figuring it out. And yeah, it came in last in the polls and yet somehow they let him do a sequel to it. I don't understand how that works. Like how do you get a second chance at that? But he's figuring it out and already in Wonder Island, as you've said, like you see where Dr. Slump is going to come oh, from. Yeah. Like the setup with the animals and things clinging to trees and just the like turnaround scream reactions to things. It's it's Dr. Slump and honestly, Wonder Island gets revisited in Dr. Slump. So like Toriyama just wanted to keep reincorporating it. He's He's got his favorites. No, he's really seemed drawn to this Wonder Island concept, this sort of Neverland meets Skull Island place yeah, yeah. where there's just all sorts of like dinosaurs and animal people interacting with human people. P-Man is a sort of Peter Pan Tarzan cross, but with a permanent shaves and just super eccentric. I think I find the first one around like it, I, it is, I really enjoy it because of just, you know, very expressive. There some great gags like, you know, as mentioned before, the gag where P-Man just screams out wow and hits Furusu <laughs> through panel borders. Just excellent. Oh, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Furusu makes some really crazy expressions as he's increasingly exasperated by the antics of the other Wonder Island residents. Uh, there's just some fun moments in there for me that I'm like, oh, this is fun. I think the only really slow part is when he's expositing his backstory, which isn't that funny. I like it on subsequent rereads, but this is also tough because like, all right, you're going to hand someone this giant book all right here's toriyama's history why don't you skip a few at the <laughs> beginning like come back around to it no it is just so weird so like if you're not accustomed to toriyama's weirdness of like kind of the world of because the one around essentially the world of it is like basically what he does for penguin waves and dr slump you know so it's like if you're not accustomed to like oh no they're just going to be weird creatures all around there's going to be this is a world in which you know all sorts of different types of beings uh, exist and you don't need an explanation for like why is the world like this the world is just like this there's kaiju interacting with like animal people interacting with fairies and devils and witches and all that so if you don't have that expectation you know if you have if you don't know Toriyama like will do this in Dr. Slump then you can be like weird like I don't understand this world like there's no introduction to what Wonder Island really is uh there's no introduction to these other characters it's like no you got everything you need that's it yeah no who is P-Man <laughs> like don't worry what? about it <laughs> you know you just don't have much uh yeah but no I, I think it's fun I enjoyed it. I think just I like that rawness of early Toriyama. Yeah, from a story perspective, I I mean, I didn't really get it that much. Um, but I would have to argue against the like, um, I mean, yeah, he's he's figuring it out more than he is in like newer comics. But the craft is there. It's all there. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, what I've uh, noticed a lot about his earlier works, um, and this is just more of the like kind of comedy styling um, he has at the time. Uh, these characters are very explicitly fit so that you can see like uh, they're like these short stout characters. They fit in the panels just right. Like you can tell exactly what they're doing in every single panel. Maybe the story doesn't exactly come across for me every time, but like I never had a question about what physically was happening. Like it's always crystal clear to me, like what movement is being made, where a character is jumping from. Like I, I mean, yeah, I don't know what Wonder Island is <laughs> at all, really. But like if he's jumping off like a cliff, I know where he's jumping to or what's being shot at. Yeah, I totally agree with you on Wonder Island. And then I feel like he breaks from that a little bit. It starts to get cluttered. I feel like Polar and Royd in particular is extremely cluttered. But then and he's into Dr. Slump by that point. So he's got a lot going on. So who knows? But I feel like it's after that point they finally figures it out. Yeah. 
I think his storytelling, you know, just in terms of telling like more kind of complete compelling stories definitely improves as we go along with these one shots because like these early ones like one drama the thing i'll give her it's like yeah it's it is a little subject it is a little all over the place but i appreciate kind of the zaniness it feels like kind of an old looney toony gag especially with how Furusia continues to be the victim of so much different slapstick he is like such a a daffy duck-esque character in his hubris so even though he's not like the most likable because he is a little bit curmudgeonly because he gets so much punishment put upon him it is kind of fun to watch. I, I will say, I, I do agree with all your guys' like criticisms, but I, I think if I've learned anything about myself through reading all of Toriyama's stuff throughout the past couple years and really kind of like, you know, and, and talking about some of these through the show here, um, I think I've just realized that I, and I'm not sure if this is the word I want to use, I think I I think I like unhinged Toriyama. Like I, I like, I yeah. like, I like yeah, Wonder yeah. Island <laughs> because it is just, it, I mean, I don't like the second Wonder Island chapter as much as the first one, but I do I, I do kind of revel in him just having these characters just play Ultraman for 10 pages and throwing each other through walls. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love crazy shit like that. Yeah, there's total entertainment value in both styles of Toriyama. Yeah. The I am doing literally anything I feel like wasting 10 pages, but also like here is a concise story where I have plotted every single panel. I, I love both sides of Toriyama. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It makes my little cartoonist heart happy that I can see him going off the rails like that just because he's having fun with it. Like you can see the fun that he's having while he's making it. Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely comes across to Wonder Island too, where it just feels like, okay, this one he definitely seemed to like make up as he drew along, it feels like. This is one where I think it really does feel like, oh, these are like spontaneous, figure out the story as I go kind of things and the way it's plotted and just kind of fizzles out by the end. But yeah, the second one is another one where, you know, okay, one thing to just note is that, okay, this is like the first appearance of like the three cops that appear in Dr. Slump. Uh, Gala and Palos, the cops who really will always (laughs) jump in, run into their cop car and turn over, and then the police chief. So that's kind of fun to see. Oh, he came up with the designs uh, here. This is like their first real published meetings before Slump. And this gets into the the larger, like everything exists in the same universe. Like, okay, well, if they're in Dr. Slump, Dr. Slump's in Dragon Ball. <laughs> and, and that's Jocko, and then Merlus is in the bottom panel there, like, that's all one Toriyama multiverse. Is Mr. Ho said an alternate timeline following that universe version of Yamcha? Is this like uh-huh, a Yamcha uh-huh. secret past? <laughs> we don't know what Dragon Ball, you know? And we get Pepper Town, too. Not, oh, it's all good. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Arale is in uh, is in Polar and Roid for a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, yep, there's yep. like explicit crossover between Polar and Roid and Dr. Slump when Kick Nikochan and his servant like make an appearance to raid their ship and then uh, Roy dresses Pola up as like a Raleigh having read Doctor's Love and knowing that would scare them away. So that was a good cameo. That was a good crossover joke because both were running in that same issue. It's kind of insane. He didn't take a break from Slump for the issues for these oh, chapters were published. They were published like side by side. <laughs> man. But uh, I mean, any other thoughts on like the Wonder Island stories? I guess the only other note is, as far as other cameos, is that I reread the Wonder Island two-parter in Slump, and the only cameo from these stories that I saw in Slump was the fairy character. It's a bipedian. She's in like the establishing shot of uh, the scenery of Wonder Island. That's the only reference to these characters I noticed there. Yeah, I think it's just Toriyama referencing his old ideas. He loves them. I mean, have you heard the story about... uh, 
killer cyborgs and spy robots. Like the kind of thing he's going to do over and over. He just goes back to the well. I just rewatched Dr. Slump movie, movie in quotes, one this morning myself. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's Wonder Island. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just really like this concept. Actually, no, there is one page here where this is a rare miss from Toriyama, I feel, in terms of like readability of like the action. And so this is page 34 I want to call attention to. This is when P-Man breaks out of his egg. And it sends Detective Herring like kind of flying through the middle uh, left panel. (laughs) And so the action here is a little confusing to me. Because so uh, Herring flies through the middle left and he breaks the panel board there. And then I think we're supposed to take that in the top uh, middle panel, he's shooting his gun that we see P-Man blow away the bullets of in the bottom right panel. And so the... The flow here of like where your eyes drawn to is just very confusing to yeah. me because you know the way we usually read a comics page, you know, we would read like in this middle panel sequence, the middle right, then the top, uh, then the middle left, uh, middle bo- middle uh, right, I mean bottom middle panel, and then the the right uh, bottom panel. But then it's but the way it's like here, it's like we're supposed to go like kind of down then up. Yeah, that is cross. weird. It's, it does not draw your eye in the correct way, I don't think. So even though I appreciate the fact that he uh, explodes through a panel gutter and we see the gutter crunched up like that, that's kind of fun. I, it died with just weird readability to me. It's still early and he's figuring it out. And this is no, totally. he's going to reuse yeah. again and again. It's like, oh, okay, here's where his panel busting starts. Okay. The experimentation is necessary to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. You're gonna. You're not gonna have a hit every single time when you're experimenting. Yeah, I guess how I would tweak it, like just thinking about it, it's like so in the if I think the direction could work if like from the top, uh, from the middle top panel there, he shoots towards the the bottom right. Like right now, he's like shooting like right at P Man in the right bigger panel. But if he shot towards the bottom and P Man was blowing the bullets up from there, I think that would draw your eye a lot better than like yeah. him shooting from the left. And then for, we're seeing the bullets come in from the right on the bottom. So just spatially, it's like, okay, where are the characters in placement to each other? I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, that's just an interesting, that's the only like sequence where I was like, okay, I'm having a hard time kind of figuring out like where the action is where the characters are in placement together direction here but even though i appreciate again the interactivity between the characters and the elements of the page like i like hearing like having his arms wrapped around the the panel gutter in these bottom <laughs> two panels here uh, another spatially confusing thing with how his head is peeking out of like the, the other panel and on the other side of him but it's, it's funny it, it it is weird how you, like how you, like when you're reading the page you're kind of reading down but then kind of have to like backtrack a second like to yeah it, that it is kind of weird how that works yeah I think a little bit of it too is just a case of uh, so much yeah. going on because that's a very dense page there's a lot of sound effects and a lot of confetti and it just um, yeah it all just kind of um, there's just so much that uh, if it was maybe pared down a little bit. Very busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, he's putting a lot into this. You know, we had Ultraman references. We had King Ghidra show up. We had C-Stripio, Fairy Amat, you know. <laughs> he becomes a Frankenstein at the end. So. Did you know that Toriyama likes Ultraman and Star Wars? Because I didn't. Oh, no, I would never have <laughs> guessed throughout this collection. <laughs> I was trying to make an overall count ever since I started um, uh, maybe somewhere halfway through the manga theater. I Is there a car in this one? Uh, <laughs> not. I've got a car count. Going. Yeah, no. Like, that's it becomes a recurring thing. It's like, oh, is this story just a showcase and excuse for Toriyama to show off a vehicle he likes to draw? Yeah, exactly. Like, 
the, the elder being the biggest example of like, oh, he just wanted to draw the Suzuki Jimmy, you know? <laughs> I don't think we see our first car until uh, Tomato, or Tomato, however you pronounce your name. I mean, Tomato, the cutesy gum <laughs> show, yeah. This is, now, this is the one that's pretty important in terms of like, oh, here's Toriyama doing a female lead, hairstyle, a hat, very similar to a Raleigh. Character in this is literally named Slump. Uh, and this is like Torishima and Toriyama made a bet of like, hey, you're not sure whether you want to make the main character of Dr. Slump a female lead. You do this one shot with a female lead and whoever will bet on like where it's going to place in the rankings, whoever is closest, you know, that's how we're going to decide the direction of who the protagonist of Slump is going to be. And uh, Torishima won this bet because apparently this ended up being quite popular, uh, this <laughs> effort of doing female lead. He saw the potential of like, hey, Toriyama, you're not confident in your ability to draw girls, but you draw some pretty cute girls. Girls would appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, another slump prototype character, the police uh, lieutenant here, pretty similar in design to the principal in Dr. Slump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's effectively a Dr. Slump prototype in a different way from Wonder Island, where Wonder Island is kind of like slapstick, like complete wackiness. This is more like the character side of prototyping yeah. where we're going to yeah. go. I mean, she looks like a Raleigh, like you said, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially with the pajamas, that first page, like if you didn't. You did a quick glance. You think you were looking at a Raleigh. More random Ultraman. We got Karaku Kenta. I mean, it's... Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> First appearance of Karaku Kenta. Not Superman yet, but right, just right. a casual bank robber. I'm just imagining a world where Dr. Slump ends up being like a full-on like police procedural cop manga. Yeah, he seemed really uh, a big fan of the police genre of action film you know what with the last chapter being like explicitly like oh here's like a character who's a parody of dirty harry and then here's like here's another story about cops and then we see like cops as the protagonist throughout like other stories and collections so it's like oh like he's he's really interested in the police action genre and trying to do these kind of genre stories there's just a whole chapter of dr slump where they're all cops yeah no, I mean, police men are also pretty prominent in the series. <laughs> Many stories do. So, yeah, he just really seems to like the concept. They're just like kind of a misfit band of cops who are just incompetent at what they do. And that's what I like about it is, like I said earlier, that he's figuring out characters now. Like, I've got these archetypes of this, this, and this. How do they all interact together? How do they riff off each other? And it's great. It's great for what it is in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though this is more character interaction focused, I admit that I didn't like find the characters super interesting in this, like Tomato and Slump in particular, he's pretty milk a toast. You get what you get with yeah. him. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think the highlight is just the the sequence where Tomato and Kenta are like having kind of a <laughs> like escalating hostage kissing contest where like they keep choosing different hostages and try to try to know over each other and this ends of like a, a Pun that I'm sure was, you know, a bit of a reach to translate, but it sort of works of like, oh, she chooses an ant as a hostage. I think that makes Kenta assessed of like finding ants <laughs> and collecting ants as hostages. So that ended up being a, a really good gag for it. But mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's just interesting to see again, Toriyama kind of, again, like you said, works through us some ideas. And then like, I guess we skip it because this doesn't, it doesn't in the placement here, it doesn't come until the first chapter of Volume 2, but Highlight Island does come before Tomato. Do we just want to talk about that briefly, uh, just skip ahead a little bit to just clear off all the pre-slump works before we go into the slump era works? Because Highlight Island, I don't think there's also that much uh, I want to say about other than, I mean, this is him figuring out, oh, this is the classroom at Penguin exactly. Village. 
Yeah, yeah. That is a bummer about the manga theater. Even in Japan, is that they're, they're out of order. Yeah, they pluck things here and there. It's roughly in order, but not entirely. And this is a weird one because I wanted to mention this with Tomato too, where like, I know the old translation of the title, so I always call that Gal Detective Tomato. <laughs> and then with this one, it's either Today on Harai Island or Today's Highlights. Like, there's a million titles for it. Um, it's it's not good. I, I think it's completely unreadable. Like, yeah, here's Toriyama doing the classroom. That, yep. Okay, I gotta move on. Yeah, there's just a lot of characters that I don't like understand like who they are, what their personalities mean. Like we Kanta is the protagonist essentially of this one and his thing is like, Oh, I have a two day, but we don't really know who Kanta is, like as a person, like what what is his deal before that other than this implication like he's perpetually late to class uh but shows up around all time so it's like well i don't really have much to latch on to with like understanding his character there's some weird characters in the classroom like the guy who likes sweet bean soup uh the teacher who is like somewhat proto midori although a little more kind of lax and less goofy in personality uh, there's like a young prototype of akane not in personality but just in looks and hairstyle and then uh, I guess the main, the character that like shows up in Dr. Slum mostly unchanged is like Dr. Yagi, the goat doctor, who also there's a goat doctor in Dr. Slum. So that's <laughs> the thing. So, I mean, there's some fun gags. I mean, again, like this is one where there was like the, a bunch of puns and wordplay of like how lousy toot and then a lousy toot, like there's a bug in it, uh, infections, you're infested. So there's some fun wordplay like that that I'm sure Greg had some fun trying to figure out. I have a bit of a question about that. Um... If anyone really knows, um, like the the puns and the the jokes, um, if if you were to read them in their original Japanese, would they be I mean, they'd be more, I guess, understandable. But would they be like funnier, too? Or like, is there some loss of humor in translating it kind of no matter what? Probably a wordplay thing. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not, not fluent. So, I mean, I can look at it and read it and be like, mm, sure. <laughs> What's in Japanese? Yeah, more than any other story in this, this one felt like a series of jokes. Yeah, more than it did a story. Yeah, and, and since like I'm, I'm wondering if the jokes lost me because it's like a Japanese thing, or if there's some kind of like turns of phrases that um just don't translate as well, or something like that. Yeah, I mean it's a lot of wordplay, it's a lot of slapstick, uh, but not a lot of like character establishment. I feel, and that makes it hard to like really latch. No, there were definitely some portions of this collection where a joke would come up and I'm like, I'm not sure I totally understand this. Like, there were some misses. But again, I I think that comes down to, well, I'm not not sure how much sense this makes in English or whatever. I can't I'm not I'm not really fluent either. So I I couldn't really tell you. Yeah, I did really enjoy the uh, the alarm clock. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Just knocks out his eyes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, every just and then putting it back in wrong places. A similar joke happens in Doctor Slump, you know. Oh uh, uh, yeah, Senbei's eyes get knocked out and then get back in the wrong place. So yeah, again, funny recurring gags you'll see across these works that show up later in, Tor- in Slump or Dragon Ball. I, I think this was around the point where I realized, oh, I like it when Toriyama draws and writes stories about these like rough and tumble, like delinquent type little boy characters. Like I, I really like it when he like draws stories centered around those types of characters because okay, those characters are fun for me. Yeah, and he'll do it better later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that takes care of our thoughts on the pre-Slump era work. And so now we're getting into the stuff he drew while also still doing Dr. Slump. And basically the trio of stories he did for the reader's choice of word. 
for three years in a row. Starting with Paula and Royd, which, yeah, it has kind of an interesting 15-act structure where I guess with the change of scene, the act changes, which can sometimes happen in mid-page. And yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, sci-fi adventure story of like a horny space taxi driver uh, is roped into helping a horny defender of justice to liberate a planet from a fly team dictator and his empire weak monsters. So you get some good guys out of that. I think the best gag is just with the crab whose claw can actually split apart into five. So, you know, <laughs> obviously in a rock, paper, scissors contest, you think the crab with a claw would just only be able to throw scissors, but actually he throws paper, but he loses because Roy throws scissors. So that's, that's a funny idea. But yeah, this is one where, you know, it's more story focused, but it is one that kind of didn't do that much for me honestly like uh, it just thought it was you know it, it, there wasn't as many like stand up like crazy like art or crazy like gag moments for me i guess i mean except for like the the spaceship the beetle spaceship oh, that's yeah. just like <laughs> hatches from an egg and then goes through the the life cycle of a beetle from larva stage to pupa then to, to, to becoming the full-grown bug and then the at the uh, reveal that all oh, these gorillas that they rescue and bring to earth end up becoming adam and eve after going back in time which is also kind of a funny capper. It feels very slumpy of a joke. Uh, there's like an end of chapter joke. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the explicit crossover Dr. Slump. You know, I like I like Kinyika Chan, so it's fun to see him pop up. You know, you say it's story focused, but honestly, I, I think it becomes completely unreadable as it goes mm. on. Uh, I like the act structure. I think it's neat to experiment with that. Uh, especially earlier on in in this one shot, I feel like he's starting to clutter the page less. So he's, you know, over a year here into slump, he's letting some white space on the page breathe. But that kind of all goes out the window as it goes on. I don't know if that's just him looking at his page count and being like, oh, what do I do here? And just throw it all in. Yeah, I mean, he was under the wire again with this one. Of I mean, course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he drew it with an autograph pen instead of a regular G pen, though. Hey, got a trip to Europe out of it, so. I think there's a lot of value in this story for its uh, display of uh, sci-fi art in it. You've got like the teapot ship, uh, like the first page. You get the little robot chicken. Um, you get this little tiny alien, a spaceship, or not a spaceship, a little a playboy robot <laughs> thing. You get like another little flying round robot and then a plane and more aliens. There's just like a large amount of like spacecrafts and aliens and uh, what else is in here? Like this weird little fly uh, vehicle. As far as story goes, it didn't really click with me. But do you get a dragon? Like there's just there's uh, I f it might be more art focused if you're looking for a focus because it looks like he's just trying to throw in as many cool designs as he can and then just like frame the story around mm -hmm. that yeah more than anything else that's a good point he really likes insect motifs you definitely see him try and incorporate that with also like these you know spaceship and vehicle designs that he also likes to draw and that is kind of a cool thing about it like different iterations of like having insect team vehicles especially again with that beetle spaceship but and also like kind of the there's a wasp spaceship that shows up at some point like there's some cool stuff there and in terms of just appreciating like kind of creativity of like you know different vehicle designs yeah i feel like it's a good start that in the next story madmatic he goes wild with and i uh -huh. am in love with the designs in that one like that's one madmatic is one of my favorites in the whole collection oh totally. no that one's really good yeah. i completely agree yes this is i feel like this madmatic is the the changing point for toriyama's one shot i feel like you can draw a line in the sand right here like this is where he figures out story arc structure smaller batches of characters that are very unique and very well defined uh polaroid starts that but doesn't quite hit it and then madmatic just nails it yeah 
Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I just love the scale of his art. Like, there's so many, like, big pages and big moments. Like, so many double-page spreads, too, which is not something... I was going to say, yeah, this is, like, the first great two-page spread in in his one-shots here. Yeah, so many incredible spreads. And also, I mean, you mentioned before, but the sound effects in this chapter... um, So good. With Bodhi's original and They're just so dynamic, just so incredible. Like, the sequence where the, like, gun gun, uh, like, kind of send an explosion towards uh, Nivea. And, like, it's just one page of, like, we have, like, batoom and boom, like, on the same page. It's just so freaking good. And also, like, there's just a lot of other fun, like, sound... I mean, I'm, I'm... the last word before, but the two page red of the dragon bring out the refrigerator with the dragon. <laughs> the That's so good, so dynamic, and yeah, also they're just cool like uh, ship designs. Like I love the killer whale flying ship of the Gungans. I don't even care what story he wraps around it. If we got a full series of just giant monsters versus giant ships uh, of Toriyama's designs, I would buy every single yep. volume, yeah, every single piece of merchandise. Uh-huh. No, the feel of it is cool. The dragon fighting the killer whale ship, just him headbutting it, kind of crash, another incredible two-bit spread, just so fun, cool action in this. Uh, even just the combat, you know, of like just, you know, the unnamed beer-loving guy, he doesn't even ever get a proper name in this, like him punching out the Gungan general <laughs> with a big doka sound effect i'm looking at that page right now it's great what i love about that page yeah. is then the like the little third splits at the very bottom <laughs> yeah. into the distance into the distance uh, it's toriyama doing those kind of diagonal cuts i feel like he masters it here too it's just so great for both nidanism and for pacing of just the timing of it is just so good you know we get to dwell in the awesome action beat and then we get to appreciate the gag towards the bottom of the page yeah there really is a lot of stuff clicking into place in this one like all the elements were there and then this one just puts them all together and like again my favorite one probably the whole collection i think oh yeah it is this is my favorite one shot of the entire collection for sure just the art in this is just phenomenal it's just a lot of fun i I don't want to jump ahead too far but out of like my favorites it's kind of between this and um the elder later honestly mm, elder is another great action that one's pretty high one. up for me oh, yeah i love car chases I and mean, we'll yeah. get to it but that's so good <laughs> but okay yeah i mean i guess the only other question that i had for this one is that toriyama mentions that he got assistance from a mecha expert named tanigami and i, I wasn't able to find out much about him i was just wondering if mike you might know more about this person i like, have not known oh, oh sorry. man i really want to know more <laughs> i yeah i want to know like what this guy's design work is like and what influence he brought to the designs in the story because i mean that killer whale ship especially is super cool i wonder if that's even his real name yeah that's another thing is like hmm, it might be a pseudonym so it might be hard to find out who he is but yeah no like, uh, this is Toriyama's second one for this author's contest, and uh, he hit it out of the park with this one. Uh, less so with the next one, Chobit, which was not very popular. Oh, you don't like Chobit? No, oh. no, I'm not saying that I, I don't like it, <laughs> although admittedly it is kind of towards the bottom of my list. But in just in terms of, like, readers' popularity in Jump, sure. yeah, it yeah. was not uh, that popular. Which, you know, Toriyama motivated out of, you know, spite, his sore loser, that's why he made Chobit too. Uh, that's it explains a lot of Toriyama's persistence in creating manga over the years when come to think about it. Uh, because he was going to give up on making manga initially. He just wanted to make get the 
prize money, but then he kept continuing to make something popular. And then even <laughs> later on with Dragon Ball, you know, he was kind of upset that Dragon Ball wasn't more popular initially. So he was like, okay, well, let me try and do contests in the series and let me see if that'll help boost his popularity. So, yeah, Toriyama, motivated by spite to create great art. <laughs> <laughs> As we all are. I did want to hit on that. Yeah. So this was um, Toriyama's entering the 11th Jump Readers Award. Uh, he got third place for it. Um, this was the last year until the competition was briefly revived in 1997 as the Jump Readers Cup. And Toriyama won that year with Booble of <laughs> Demon Village, which itself became a prototype for a little thing you might see around his kawa. So nice. um, Toriyama using these competitions as, uh, like you said, an example to uh, demonstrate his spite, but also kind of like <laughs> used as a, a training ground for future works sometimes too totally but yeah i mean this is of course very i dream of genie inspired yeah. pretty explicitly in the design of chobit <laughs> and the fact that her spaceship is basically a genie lamp you know so that's kind of neat and again we see him returning to this idea of like having the protagonist be like a kind of incompetent police officer kind of a goofball i kind of like the family dynamic between the yamanos or the the little sister is like the most mature mother. i just like when she's so exasperated by mugi fumi's kind of like incompetence like just when she's delivered home after trying to help stop the fight between the bull and the pig and it just hears like putting her hand on her face like oh my god this brother of mine <laughs> I, I love it when toriyama writes characters that are like beyond their ages i, I think that's really cute yeah very precocious yeah. <laughs> yeah they were they were my two favorite characters the the siblings yeah they yeah. were good I mean, the little brother is, <laughs> does the most consequential stuff in this chapter. He hits uh, Chopit's spaceship out of the sky with the slingshot, and then he destroys it later. So <laughs> it's no one's fault Chobit comes into their lives. <laughs> I, I will say, I think, I, I like this one enough, but I, I think this would be kind of lower on my list, too. We can't we can't move past this without mentioning how he eventually like swallows her and has to shit her out. That that actually kind of took me aback. I wasn't expecting that. It's <laughs> a good point of luck that she doesn't get digested. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty funny. Maybe she used her psychic powers for I hope so. <laughs> no, that was a fun bag. Fun scatological humor. I want to talk about the length of Chobit because this is it's a three it's a, effectively three chapters. And so I'm just looking at some uh, comments Toriyama later wrote about things. Uh, he says the the reason it was in three part format was because um, everyone kept telling him why well, you can't do more than 15 pages, so draw three <laughs> stories. So it's like all right, yeah. If you don't think of it as you know 30 pages or beyond, you think of it in just like 15 page chunks. Oh, I can write that. It's basically just a chapter. Just do three of those. Um, and, and I think it actually works in this regard because Jobit, I mean, it feels like a series, like a real life series, as opposed to uh, a longer single one shot, which I think is neat. Mm -hmm. No, totally. That's a great three act structure. I mean, if it was a serialized jerk, I think the first chapter might be a little weak for only introducing Chobit at the end. But like having the three chapters all at once, you know, it's a great way for Toriyama to think about of how he wanted to just structure and pace the story. Like having been just trained on Slump and 50 minute chapters for so long and also doing, you know, multi-part stories in Slump. Like that's a great way to get his, you know, headspace in a place where like, okay, I can, if I think about it as just like, you know, three different chapters, it'll come together. 
then yeah, it's yeah. easier for me to think through rather than... There was a lot of good foundation if he chose to continue with it. Yeah, no, totally. Sure. Which I think we see in Chobit too, which, you know, he, he drew this pretty quickly after publishing the first Chobit. Like, this came out in Fresh Jump in June of 1983, after, like, Chobit came out around probably February, March, it being the 10th issue of 1983 in Jump. Yeah, it was... February 8th to April 23rd. So yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, after. yeah. So yeah, we didn't really talk. We haven't really talked about like Fresh Jump as a magazine. Like a lot of these stories are published in Shonen Jump. But also as we go on the collection, we have these stories that are published in Fresh Jump and in V Jump, which there's a lot of history there. Uh, but Fresh Jump is a defunct now Shueisha Jump magazine, but it ran from 82 to 89. And the goal of it was to feature one shots and help new creators like get a get a footing, explore some ideas. Though there were longer serializations run in the magazine the most notable of which is Ramen Man the Kanikaman spinoff by Yuta Tamago themselves uh, starring like the titular uh, Kanikaman side character Ramen Man which was pretty popular it has its own anime movie and mm. stuff, so it's just some context for what Fresh Jump is but yeah, the second chapter I like a lot more in terms of concept just because of the, the gag of uh, him being like shot by Sucker Punch Max so many times, and he just keep getting revived by a Chobit until the point where like Mac just passes <laughs> out from like the the shock of it. So I think just that gag of it, it just makes it so humorous. Just the dark yeah, gag at all. Country bumpkin in a city kind of story. I mean, those are always fun. You know out of place stories maybe toriyama's best villain design here yeah. oh, you think? <laughs> I, I just i was gonna say i love how like short and round and stout sucker punch mac is yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's definitely in line with a slump era like design even a guy with a handsome face has to have like a super stout body peak physical form <laughs> <laughs> his legs realize. are so short yeah <laughs> i love that you don't realize it like at the start like it looks like he's uh, gonna look like a lot bigger but then you just get that panel where he's standing there and he like he fills the he doesn't even get to the <laughs> uh, like full length of the panel yeah he, he's perfect size for that short square panel that he's boxed in and it's like full page review it's like full body reveal mm-hmm I, I kind of feel like that's a maybe like one small like in my eyes like a, an evolution of like some of his humor because it's not so like in your face. Uh, mm. the, the guy still has this like really stern looking like villainous face, but he's stout and it's not like it's like he's not got this goofy face on too. like I'm, I'm not sure how to exactly explain what I'm saying, but it's something that uh we're laughing at not because Toriyama is kind of explicitly telling us to laugh at it, making like a big dramatic show of how funny it is, but it's there. Mm -hmm. It's very subtle. Yeah. Like he's trusting us to see the humor in it versus uh, pointing it out directly. Does that make any sense at all? No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I kind of feel like a lot of other manga creators would like call more attention to that kind of thing. But yeah, I, 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 what I love about Toriyama, one of the things I love about his stuff is that like how subdued his comedy can be sometimes. Whereas like, I've talked about this before, you have uh, people like Eichiro Oda or Hideaki Sirachi who like just constantly go on and on about like, you know, uh, co comedic detail about a character or whatever. They, like they're very comfortable with their like manzai type of humor. But again, Toriyama's a lot more subdued and he trusts you to kind of like pick up on these things without like dwelling on them too much, I think. Mm, no. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, are there any other thoughts we have on the Chobit stories? 
Like, I think they're they're pretty fun stories. They're fine. It's just like an also ran alongside some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So that's the last of the Reader's Choice trio. And now we kind of have to take a, a jump back to 1982 for two ones that did not get published in Jump, but in the other side magazines, uh, including Escape, which is just like a five-page little comic that's just based on the little simple like kind of idea. This girl is running from something and you think, oh, she's running from like a, a monster or something chasing her. But no, it's just like they're playing a game of hide and seek. It's it's cute. Exactly. It's it's cute. That first page is is some really good um the the first page where she's dropping down from that cliff and running. That's the word I want to use is cinematic. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I really love that page in particular. So I love Escape. Um, I kind of want to, man, there's so many directions I want to go with Escape. I think <laughs> it's done dirty in a collected format like this for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's just kind of there and it's only five pages alongside some other things that are much longer. So you're kind of not expecting something like this. But also because it's produced in full color, you don't get the grandeur of just how beautiful it is compared to its uh, original printing. And it did get a color reprint in one of the Akira Toriyama of the World um, exhibition books. Um, I, I want to go to its original serialization here. So it came out December 14th, 1981 in um, the January 82 extra issue of Shonen Jump. So you, you've probably seen this in pretty much every Jump branded manga, but when you get a title page, sometimes you get like this little extra splash text and that's generally removed for the final print release. Uh, Escape has some really, really cool <laughs> text on the page. So at the top of the title page, it says, Akira Toriyama takes on a serious story for the first time. <laughs> so we're already setting you up for disappointment there. Uh, <laughs> along the side of the title page, it says, run, don't get caught, don't let them find you. And then in the table of contents for this issue of Jump, it's listed as a science fiction super action fantasy. So they are really, really oh, no. like, <laughs> setting up what this is going to be. And I love that, like just messing with you the whole time through, like not just the content of it, but when you look at it in its original publication, that's why I think Escape is done a little dirty in the collected format because you don't get all this extra flourish surrounding it no totally i can totally see that extra context just you know setting you up for like the anticipation of oh this is as much serious but no it's it's of course dream it's all a joke yeah though that that adds to the enjoyment of it just so much humor at the reader's experience <laughs> yeah yeah okay I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you gave us that extra context yeah because otherwise yeah i just kind of thought that was fine but this was also around the point where i thought like man i know it costs more money but I really wish some of these full color, at least some of them were like yeah. actually printed in color because I would have loved to see them in color. Yeah, like the pages of Cashman that you showed off, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it's gorgeous looking. Yeah. Would have loved to, to have a, a release of this that also could reserve cover pages. So I know like the material they're working from is also grayscale. So. Yeah. But yeah. And also to your point, Darren, you're so right. If that this has some really cinematic action, this is Toriyama really experimenting with that type of action. I mean, even though there's a punchline this chapter instead of a joke, like for most of it, it is just him experimenting with like different ways of like framing this girl running and trying to get away and just create a sense of like, oh, here's some more serious, dramatic drawings that uh, I think he employs in Dragon Ball. Yeah, you totally believe the the dread and the, the fright Absolutely. and the action and the horror. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of loved the the turn of it at the end because I was expecting something. I don't want to use the word grittier, but, you know, something more action packed. But 
then it's just that joke at the end. And I'm like, ah, Toriyama, <laughs> you've done it again. But yeah, no, I think there is a lot to appreciate, even though it is like a short thing, both with the context and both with like, hey, this is Toriyama experimenting, but something different. We actually had more to say about this than I thought we would, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, next is another highlight of the book, Pink the Rain Jack story. And yeah, like, again, there's a lot to say about this. So like, oh, like a bunch of water being hoarded and we have some thieves looking up to get some water. Oh, this is there's some elements here that you can say, oh, this is like pretty proto Sandland. And, you know, we have characters themed after colors. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's going to revisit that motif in the Red Ribbon Army and Dragon Ball. And yeah, it's got some charming little story about like this girl who is like going off and raiding this company that's hoarding all this water to, you know, just get some water. Just for, you know, trivial kid things. You know, she's a kid. She just wants to take baths. She wants to, like, feel the experience of, like, being under an umbrella during the rain and stuff like that. So there's some cute stuff there and with her relationship to Cobalt Blue. You know, the main thing that, like, stood out in me, Cobalt Blue's design, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is... This looks so much like the young Muten Roshi's design in Dragon Ball. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, did they draw inspiration for that in the anime from this story? That makes me curious because, like, with the, sh- the hairstyle, the shades, the, the it's just his body type is like okay. This is like how he looks in the anime, which is different from how he's he's supposed to be in his young form in the manga, where he's just like kind of a bald guy we see one panel in the flashback in the pickle arc but yeah no it, so that stood out to me like oh is this a design version here and uh, i watched the anime version of this like afterward just check it out because it's you know one of the longer ones and stuff yeah like, i was curious if you wanted to talk about that because isn't it different it's different in a lot of ways yeah i mean pink is aged down to be more of a little girl so the relationship between her and koa blue is like there's less of a romantic of like pink having a crush on him so much as oh she sees in him another fodder figure because like her parents passed away two years prior and there that leads to a sweet moment at the end of it where like he's has her you know she's riding on his shoulders and he's talking about hey you know maybe i could be a fodder to you and she's like oh i really like that and you know it's sort of cute yeah it doesn't do it for me like the original though where she's kind of i wouldn't say lusting over him but kind of like you know she has like a child crush you know yeah but they didn't even really address the like how much she really wanted to stand under that umbrella with him like that was the entire point and they didn't get to it that's true and they drew him like a masakazu katsura character is very very weird to me yeah no i this design i do not like at all it's (laughs) like he is kind of like a gold Gohan in Super Space with the glasses and big eyes, but he has like a weird Vegeta spiky hairstyle. Uh, it's like his, his design looks so weird to me. Yeah, I think the adaptation. So I actually want to mention that. So this this was the Toei Anime Fair in 1990. So it was it was um, a three piece. It was DBZ Movie Three, a Tree of Might or Battle for the World, because every. <laughs> Dragon Ball movies called that. Um, uh, Kanosuke and Pink. So they were all kind of back to back, all three in, in one block. So it was uh, Toriyama's like world of animation there. Um, and they did a special book release. They got a soundtrack release. So this was kind of a big deal that Toriyama one shots were getting uh, animated and adapted there. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I knew any of this. I'm going to have to look all this up later. And yeah, I, I just watched those. And yeah, like the design changes throw me off in the pink one. But they added some like cool like action bits uh, with like the lizard man rainbow and stuff like that. I don't know. I feel like it takes away from what is at the heart of this story. And that's between no. 
this yeah. young lady, not not a young girl, and 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 blue there. Um, I, I like pink more and more every time I read it. I still wish I liked it more, especially because I've got a buddy who's super super into it, and I feel like I, I can't quite hit his level of enthusiasm. I feel like I'm there with Madmatic as opposed to pink. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but I do gain a whole new appreciation for it. I think I liked it even more um, reviewing the animated adaptation of it, um, which I. Again, I think did it dirty. Uh, the manga is the way to go on this one for sure. I, I would agree that I think it's a cute, charming story. And aesthetically, yeah, I do prefer the manga designs more, uh, especially. But yeah, and it is also like a great like reveal uh, in this version. Whereas like you don't really realize how young Pink is supposed to be at the start of it when she's doing her first raid until like Cobalt walks in on her. And then we see, oh, she's actually really short. She is like a kid. You know, so I do like that kind of reveal emphasis in the manga, whereas in the anime, of course, you lose that because she's clearly a little girl. But yeah, I I was confused about like how old she was all throughout reading it because I I was too. I genuinely couldn't tell like whether she was supposed to be older or like younger. I, I don't know. I mean, he draws her at different heights. <laughs> panel <laughs> to panel. Yeah, that, that's what, what made it confusing. Trying to get across. I feel like her height on the page is kind of like the way that Senbei presents himself, depending yeah. on how he yeah, feels yeah. about himself. Yeah. He can be tall as short as he wants to be, depending on how he wants to present himself. Like if she's trying to be cute or badass, like she's got a different height to her. That, that, that makes sense, yeah. Toriyama does that a lot with all of his characters, and I think it's uh, in some ways to kind of fit his layouts better than it is like to tell character stuff sometimes. It's maybe the draftsman taking over from the the storytelling aspect. I'm looking at uh, one really dumb little thing that's one of my favorite things in this whole story. It's uh, page 251. It's the cliff with the pig just taking the place of a I don't know, a crow or a rooster or something. (laughs) I love the little dumb, like Toriyama inserts so many little creatures. uh, And I started noticing this on my like reread of Jocko and uh, Sandland. Like there'll be like a pterodactyl flying off in the corner uh, with a fish in uh, Jocko, I think. And then in this one, there's a pig that's just like making noise on top of a cliff. Maybe uh, like a wolf, probably. Yeah. Probably supposed to imitate a wolf. But um, just dumb little stuff like that. I love when he does that so much. Yeah, no, that's what I love about his early work is how he populates his pages with just all these like creatures and like, you know, kind of weird. Just little goofy things. Yeah. You know, I mean, just in like the opening page of one round where the fish is like swimming through the air is like also pretty funny. It's like just stuff like that. I just love. Little extra touches that aren't necessary at all, but it just makes it so Toriyama and just goofy and fun for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do we have anything else to say on Pink? Because next we've got kind of a, a big one in the history and development of Dragon Ball that, you know, I'm sure I'll have things to say about. I, I just want to start off by saying, um, just like how Wonder Island and Tomato are clearly like prototypes for Dr. Slump, Dragon Boy and Tong Poo are definitely prototypes for Dragon Ball, for sure. Yep, oh, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, not uh, they explicitly are. Like, that was their entire point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, a Dragon Boy, uh, from, like, kind of the context of, like, Torishima's interview on Forbes and stuff like that, like, it came out towards the tail end of, like, them, him and Toriyama. 
You know, they were kind of reaching the end of the rope of like trying to figure out ideas of like, you know, what are other story ideas we can do and develop that'll be better than Slump? And they were kind of running out of steam with that and were like, okay, you know, maybe we'll have one last minute. If we can't figure it out then, then we'll call it quits because we can keep working like this with the five days on Slump, two days on our own. And then towards the end of that meeting, according to Toroshino, is like he, you know, was talking with Toriyama's wife who mentioned to him like, hey, you know, he would watch Kung Fu movies while I was working. And he was like, wait, you know, wouldn't that be distracting? But Doriana was like, no, I watch these movies like 50 times, like Jackie Chan action movies. You know, I know them like the back of my hand. And that's where they got a day of, hey, let's do a martial arts inspired story. And then kind of set with more like a Chinese fantasy element. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how Dragon Boy came about. And yeah, you can see just so many like early like Dragon Ball, what it, that would become in this. I mean, from the title, uh, sure, obviously. But you know, with the protagonist here, with uh, Tang Tong, like he's a, he's a martial arts kid. He's, you know, trained by a master Roshi. Uh, who has a kinto one. Uh, he has like a non-human like body part. In this case, he has dragon wings instead of a monkey's tail. Uh, he literally gets like <laughs> what is basically a dragon ball uh, singular <laughs> in the long path, which can summon a dragon enough cheese put into it. <laughs> the princess in the story feels you like an early, early Puar. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got the yokai, the shapeshifting yokai. It's like totally an early Puar slash oolong, a shapeshifting character. So yeah, like you have so many like elements that you're like, okay, yeah, this this later gets built up into what becomes Dragon Ball. It's very interesting in that level. I think this one is one where I didn't... The first chapter is okay to me. Like, I didn't super go on to it. I think, like, the biggest weakness of it is the princess's character, who yeah. is just, you know... Toriyama, uh, we don't comment it much yet, but... It feels like in a lot of these stories, like his heroines fall into archetypes of like they're either like nags or they're like super like aloof and airheaded. And, you know, unfortunately, the princess kind of falls into like the nag thing. She does feel like pretty, you know, proto Bulma in the way she kind of like forces Tongpu to like do a lot of heavy lifting and complains a lot about making any extraneous effort. And of course we have like, oh, she Peter Pants joking here. And that's all it is for like a few pages. And I'm like, okay, can we just move along from this, please? Can you literally do anything else? <laughs> Honestly, her character kind of brings it down for me. Um, yeah. So that's why the first chapter especially doesn't do that much. But the second chapter when we got the shape-shifting yokai, I liked his character and I think it had like a good emotional kind of beat of like them making the mechanical soldier see like one of the you know people of the Heyun dynasty like was supposed to protect tell him hey you did a good job you can rest now that was a nice little beat and i think the shape-shifting character ended up being kind of likable and had a good relationship to tang tong so uh, i think that worked a lot better for me than when it was just tang tong and the princess on their own but yeah i mean obviously there's just so much of the these characters and this idea that gets extrapolated on the trail i mean even the gag of like uh tang tong like poking the princess uh in the breast to like oh man uh girls are squishy and then like being amazed like oh my god you don't have a penis you're wee wee sister. you know <laughs> this, that's goku and it's my attitude towards women in dragon ball oh so they don't need to pee no <laughs> <laughs> The, the, I think that got the biggest laugh out of me. Um, uh-huh. I, I'm sure we'll probably bring this up like later in the show when we do our community shout outs. But um, you should definitely go listen to uh, anybody listening to this should really go listen to the episode of Konzenchu Mike and Julian did about Dragon Boy uh, way before this was available in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I have a localization question, if any of you all know. Um, in this one, he's called Master Roshi. Uh, and I know yes. in like other Viz editions, uh, you know, Kame sent in. 
Um, right. So it is slightly different. So in Dragon Ball, he's both Muten Roshi and Kame Senin. Kame Senin being Turtle Hermit, Turtle Sage. Muten Roshi, not being a name, it's actually a title. It's like Invincible, Venerable, Old Master. So here in Dragon Boy, it's actually slightly different. It's Go Roshi-sama. So it's basically just Old Master. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to oh, know. But his name's still not Roshi, though. No, Roshi's not the name. Roshi is a title. Okay, oh, okay. Okay, so that's interesting because, yeah, in Visa's localizations, they preserve that the idea that, oh, it's a title. Like his name isn't Roshi. But in this one, no, they just call him Master Roshi. It's interesting they made that choice. Yeah, and, and that's another, like, it's close enough. And I can see why they would go with that. I can see why Greg in particular might go with that to further drive home that connection. It is slightly different, Go Roshi Sama. Yeah. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I mean, just to kind of go back to our overall thoughts on Dragon Boy, um, I, I definitely felt the same way about this prototype that I do like, you know, how I might feel about other prototypes to other big uh, franchises at this point, like this in One Piece or Naruto, when I read the prototype chapters for those, it's like, oh, this is like an interesting proof of concept, and I'm glad I got to read it, but I, I don't I don't have any other like strong feelings on it past that, I guess. I just think it's fine. Yeah, I, I like the, as we mentioned, like the emotional bit with the, the guard robot. I think that's that's something that Toriyama is going to be able to do time and time again, despite the fact that he doesn't think he can do <laughs> those kinds of emotional moments. Like he's got it in him to do that. Yeah. Really felt it there. Um, I agree with Dragon Boy. I think it's a, a neat piece of history. It's fun to read. I don't want to spend much more time in this world. Although the fact that like this one actually leaves you with, oh, we have so much further to go until we get to the Flower Kingdom. Like this one actually has a world world to explore yeah uh, i like tong pu more as an individual story for sure um, yeah but, the, but they're both great and it's it's just lovely to have this finally out in english and not just be talking with julian <laughs> about dragon boy like and talk to other people <laughs> about dragon boy and tong pu now it lends credence to the thought that any one of these short stories could have spawned their own massive hit like dragon ball totally oh yeah mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that does bring us to Tonpu. This is the last of these like pre-Dragon Ball one shots to talk about. And also another one. And yeah, it's clearly like, you know, you're going to see a lot of like early ideas that get incorporated in Dragon Ball in this. Yeah. So we are almost exactly a year before Dragon Ball. So this was the 1983 number 52 issue of Weekly Shonen Jump. Dragon Boy was actually in Fresh Jump. Um, Tonpu got got into uh, Weekly Shonen Jump. So it was alongside Dr. Slump. Um, and we are like literally almost exactly a year out from Dragon Dragon Ball at this point. It's amazing to see. Wow. Oh, totally. And uh, yeah, compared to like the Chinese inspired fantasy direction of Dragon Boy, this takes more of like the sci-fi kind of space faring adventure type kind of like Polaroid. Uh, very alien inspired with the opening sequence and the design of the alien in this story. You know, not in one of Toriyama's favorite movies. Yeah, he's definitely not a xenomorph. No, no, no. <laughs> not a design that Toriyama really likes and will continue to incorporate. Doesn't a xenomorph, uh, wait, no, this was in Dr. Slump. There's an actual xenomorph drawing in a chapter of Dr. Slump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, verbatim. But, yeah, I mean, this one has some, like, nice little beats to it. I think I like the relationship between Tong Pu and Plamo more than I did with Tang Tong and the princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And I, you know, the scene where they go into, I mean, this is important because like, this is kind of the introduction to the capsule concept, right? Like yeah. Yep. Yeah. with Tong Pu, like, you know, having like the house inside the capsule. So, you know, that's an idea. Of course, it's going to become hugely important in Dragon Ball. Uh, the scene where he and Plamo are like kind of in the house and kind of, you know, all their interactions there, like taking a bath together 
getter. That's like, okay, this is the second chapter of Dragon Ball, essentially. I mean, it's almost laid out on the page the exact same way. So yeah. <laughs> say that on, on Consensual, we have our prototype section where we did deep dives into Dragon Boy and Tongpu. And we got side by sides for all this stuff. Like, oh, wow. it's actually <laughs> wild looking at them literally side by side. Like the house is facing the same perspective direction. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ain't broke. Don't fix it. Just draw over it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize like how similar uh, those two were. But um. I really like some of the gags in this one. Like um. I like when uh, Tong Pu first meets up with Plamo. Like while she's like bathing and changing. And uh, Plamo has Tong Pu like show her how to like set up her gun so he can so she can like shoot him or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and then and then how she takes an hour to uh, bend the spoon. Yeah. <laughs> That made me laugh pretty hard. What I like about the spoon thing is that's a wasting time thing, but he doesn't actually waste the 10 pages. We just like go to the next page and then it's done. I'm like, the joke was the joke. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked the first couple of pages with all this like sci-fi stuff that just like there's all these robotics, but like it's just like a robotic hand that's like pulling off toilet paper. Like, why do you need all the robotics for that? Or, like, the robotic hand, like, waving the fan. Like, isn't there, like, a more... Uh, I mean, I, I think he actually says uh, some questionable scientific advancements here. I love that <laughs> bit. That is pretty great. So, yeah, like, it's very clear to see, okay, here are a lot more Dragon Ball inspirations. Uh, even, like, just, like, him, like, bursting apart his shirt and revealing his musculature and then, like, punching out the alien. This feels like, oh, that's really good, Goku. I feel like I can see a little bit of the dynamic the like pre Namek designs here. Yep. I'm no, totally sure. into like the landscape of it all though. I mean the planet is much more populated with life than Namek. Yeah. Uh very slumpy, you know, next morning after intro with the sun talking and then Godzilla running around from <laughs> <laughs> <sorry>, the sea. <laughs> Another one of those panels that I'm just in love with. Um, something I want to bring up with Tong Poop before we move on here in a bit is that um, so we'll probably talk about this when we do our Dr. Slump episode, but especially after reading Dr. Slump, because, um, you know, for those who listen to the podcast regularly, listeners will know I'm a big fan of Kanta Shinohara. I love Skip Dance and Astro Lost in Space and Witch Watch and everything. And uh, we know, uh, especially recently, Kanta Shinohara got to redraw one of the Dragon Ball covers for that big project they're doing where they're getting a bunch of like well-known artists to like redraw uh, volume covers. Um, we know that Kenta Shinohara it was hugely influenced by Dr. Slump with his work, especially if you read Skep Dance and Witch Watch, you can definitely see that. I kind of wonder, because the end of this one shot ends with them like planet hopping. Like, I wonder if this influenced his other work with Atra Lost in Space at all. You know, that's a very good connection because the idea of like, oh, we have just enough fuel to go planet hopping until like we find, you know, enough resources to get our way back to Earth. That is basically the premise of Atra Lost in Space, you know, and why they have to planet hop on their track home. So it's like, hey, maybe he did kind of borrow or get inspiration for an idea from this one shot. That's interesting to speculate about. Can I read that comment? I, I love this series. So what you're talking about is the the back of Psycho Jump, which is a magazine that no one should buy except for me because it's <laughs> a little children's magazine made to indoctrinate little Japanese children into these series. You're already into these series. You don't need to buy Psycho Jump. You don't need to spend $30 every month like I do and kill yourself underneath these magazines. But so what they've been doing since they refreshed the magazine's format is the back cover of every Psycho Jump. Uh, yeah, it's exactly it. It's this 40th tribute Dragon Ball Super Gallery. So leading up to the 40th anniversary of Dragon Ball, they're having different artists uh, do their own takes on the Dragon Ball Tonko Bone covers, whether that's redrawing the Dragon Ball characters or drawing their own characters in that 
format. So this was from the March 2022 issue. So that would have come out in February from Shinohara. Um, they said, both my art style and my comics have been strongly influenced by Dr. Slump. And I just love the sense of traveling through bucolic scenery in early Dragon Ball. I especially like the character Bulma. And I still recall the feeling of excitement as they set off on the journey riding together on uh, one motorbike. Goku, Bulma, Dragon and Travel. I love the illustration from Volume 9. To think the day would come when I'd be able to take part in a project like this. I want to go back and tell my school age self buying color inks and imitating Toriyama Sensei's illustrations. Congratulations on 40 years of Dragon Ball. Um, amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. We can see the influence of Slump and Dragon Ball on his work. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll probably gush about that more again when we get to Dr. Slump eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, now we're getting into the stories that were published during the run of Dragon Ball. Pretty much all of the rest of these stories, because Dragon Ball ran about 10, 11 years. Like, these were all published during the runtime, the lifespan of Dragon Ball. God. And the first of these starts off with uh, Mr. Ho. Mr. Which... Ho is so good. I love Mr. Ho. <laughs> oh, yeah. Th- yeah, this was one of my favorites, too. It's high up on my list as well. It's basically like if Yamcha took on the Red Ribbon Army. Yeah, right. if he yeah, got yeah, the yeah. protagonist and got to look cool. I mean, one gag moment where he slips on a Kang and bonks his head. But otherwise, yeah, he gets to have some, look, have some good action. Well, that's just, that's just Yamcha right there. Like, Yamcha would just do that. And it's so funny. This was published, like, around Dragon Ball Chapter 99. So, like, the after this is like, uh, it's like before Yamcha would start his fights with the Invisible Man, because that was the chapter where Puar and Upa fought, like, Dracula Man. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit before that, but it's interesting. Interesting timing on that. But, uh, yeah, this has a really good storyline. You know, conflict between the Nord and Sider used to be a war between them. War's gone, but, like, there's still, like, a, you know, bad group of Northern uh, soldiers occupying the South. And Mr. Ho is, like, an ex-soldier, but he ends up fighting against these bad soldiers and rescuing, like, a local girl. So it's, he's a favorite. He's, like, you know, it's just immediately when you see him, it's like, oh, this guy's just it's just Yamcha. It's like temperament. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice to see him re- recast in this way. Many, many, many years ago, we had run a contest. Uh, it was still Daisenshu EX at the time. I think I had a hundred side-by-side panels, like super, super <laughs> zoomed in where you couldn't really tell anything. It was like, all right, one of these two is Dragon Ball. One of these two is not. And I used Mr. Ho <laughs> and definitely like side-by-side Yamcha and not Yamcha. Um, I don't know what just brought that contest back to mind. Eventually, I think that the hundredth one were like pictures of just like rubble on the ground. Like no one would be able to figure out what's Dragon Ball and what's not. But <laughs> someone did. Someone got all hundred of those accurate. So wow. Nice. What I love about Mr. Ho is that it doesn't do anything special. It's just a perfect version of what it is. And that's a singular protagonist coming into a new land and kind of like saving the day. So whatever, we get the, the savior character. But we've got those early elements in the story when he's in the bar where like he's they don't want to serve him, but they do. And there's animosity in the room like, OK, now you need to leave. So it's like a serious story, but it's also a really heartfelt story. And it's just a funny story at the same time. We get some good action. Like it's everything that Toriyama does, especially the things he says he can't do all done perfectly Mm -hmm. yeah his uh puns are very good too i i think i laughed pretty hard at um try picking on someone your own chise Um, I I, I think I think out of any of the stories, I think this was some of greg's like best translation work especially with the puns like those really stood out to me yeah there's a lot to play with totally 
And yeah, you can see like just so many like very regular Toriyama standbys in terms of action poses uh, during the fight scenes here where Ho is fighting off the the chai gang you know like especially like the pose where like he's like kind of jumping into action like <laughs> before he you know slips on the bottle it's like yeah just such a oh that's a toriyama running pose if i've ever seen one that's a, that's a dragon ball pose there too but it's also perfect it's like you get the little bit of speed lines behind him and his fist is placed in the right place oh it's just perfect totally I have so honestly little to say about it because it does like it sets out to achieve a goal and it gets there like just as simply as possible. Yeah, it does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I both think it's incredible and I'm not sure how much to say about it either. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's a perfect little encapsulation of that. And and because of that, it's not as memorable. And yet indirectly, I think that's what makes it a little more memorable to me. It's so weird. It's a, it's a nice glass of water. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Not too cold. It's not lukewarm. It's perfect, perfect temperature. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Um, I was going to say, I really like how, uh, I really like the bookends for this one because the story starts off with Mr. Ho, you know, driving around and he sees a couple like driving in their car and he's just, and he's basically all like, oh man, a real man doesn't like drive around in a car with, you know, trying to impress his woman or whatever. And then it ends with him <laughs> with a new girlfriend in his car, like, oh, I got a girlfriend. He, he, like, <laughs> I just, I, 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 I love the way it starts and ends. Yeah, it's so great. I think this is when I started counting the references to cars. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. every single one after this, like... After this, it features cars prominently. There's at least, like, one line in each story beyond this that's like, you know what I need? A car. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I can't get girls? Because I don't have a car. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to that one oh a bit. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. All these reasons are about like, oh, hey, I have a car. Now that's going to press the... Like, these are <laughs> so cool. <laughs> um, we could probably move on to, I think, Kenosuke is the next one. Yeah, Kenosuke, the other one uh, adapted into the Toriyama, the world trilogy screening. Uh, this one's also a pretty straightforward premise of like, you know, we have this very polite, uh, well-to-do little kind of samurai kid who has to learn what a date is. You know, he doesn't really get it. Time-wise, I think this does predate the the joke of like Goku. Yeah, it predates the joke of Goku, like not understanding what it meant to get married and thinking it was some sort of food thing here. Like, you know, it's also like, oh, a date? Is that like a a watermelon dessert? It's like, no. So that's kind of an interesting uh, connection there. But yeah, it's just a pretty straightforward story of like this kid gets some advice from his like little ninja companion, Shinobi Maru, to understand what a date is. And so they go through the old emotions of what a date is like and just kind of, you know, like satirical. Like, oh, here's, here's some ideas of like what a date is like going to the beach and like taking someone out for tea or treating them and stuff like that and uh yeah so it's it's pretty straightforward in that way and i think it's you know because kenosuke is like a straightforward like honest type character there is some comedy in him getting like kind of confused and taking these ideas diculiary and not really understanding the concepts of going on a date and i think just the idea (laughs) i think the funniest part though is just the fear of being labeled a total loser. I think that's just <laughs> right? a great localization yeah, yeah. choice. I think him, his mom flipping him off and saying a bad, a boring man on a date is a total loser is a very funny image. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think just that 
underlying concept of like avoiding being calling a total loser and of course that's failing because like before he can even get started in the date he crashes his car because he falls off the bridge into that's, the that's what i love about it is that he doesn't even get to the date like it yeah. it ends on a non sequitur like he just <laughs> crashes the car and before he even gets to the date like he's already a loser yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, th- this one I thought was just kind of cute, uh, but I still liked it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, it's not particularly memorable, but it's another kind of like well enough executed. It's interesting that Toriyama's going from kind of like more adult character down to kids characters from one shot to one shot here. Oh, he's mixing it up a little bit and instead of moderns, a little more older fashioned. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's funnier in the anime adaptation just because of the, the performance of the kid. Because just the earnestness in the performance, it kind of sells the joke a little more in a way. I think it's a better adaptation than Pink, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, now we're getting to, you know, something uh, really, really fun in <sighs> The Elder. Which, oh uh, you the know, elder. cover page here, we should draw attention to, you know, with the elder titular character here, Kaitaba, sitting on the Suzuki Jimmy. I was going to say, we want to talk about the title page. The main character of this is the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the Suzuki uh, Jiminy. Like, that Tori, I wanted to draw this. Like, it's just all about, like, this car and how cool this car is. And, yeah, the title page of the elder in the same, the Dragon Ball chapter that ran in the same issue, also well, featured Goku standing on basically this car uh, yeah, yeah. though with dragon uh as the logo text instead of suzuki but it's it's slightly different design it's green and you know uh, has some different it's an old color thing but yeah it's like kind of very fun like uh symmetry cross promotion thing there for <laughs> these two chapters running the same issue i do want to mention that um you'll probably hear me refer to this as soncho and that's because it's written in our alphabet as that title in japanese and so i have yeah, however many <laughs> decades of experience calling it that. But it, it is. He's the village elder. That's that's the title. Totally. But yeah, no. I mean, this is just about a fun car chase of this like crazy tripped out Suzuki Jimny uh, chasing after like this kind of uh, evil spy guy who's going to like blow up the the country because of like a bomb he put in the super atomic reactor which i guess the one thing in terms of the plot it's not really about the plot it's just about the cool car chase but like at the end of it you know he of course explodes the spy guy's car but like did he destroy the detonator because we don't really see where the detonator what happens to the detonator because the whole point was like the guy has like a detonator that he's going to press the button once he gets to safe distance and then blow it up so uh, i don't know i I guess that part might get kind of lost in the grand scheme of uh, the action in this. But again, it really is all just about like the car chase of, with the Suzuki Jimny uh, against the Spy Guy's car and how they have a trick that with all these different gadgets. <laughs> and then, of course, just the the crazy action beats, like the crazy flip that the Elder does into his car when he's about to chase after him just to return his empty can because he shouldn't litter this guy. And then, like, again, the action beat where he like dodges the guy's bullets and then just spin flips in the air. And then just knocks him out with a punch. It's it's a very fun action comic. It's a series uh, a series of bizarre escalations where you start <laughs> off yeah, like yeah. <laughs> like he's just in a car chasing this criminal. Oh wait, his car is super fast. Oh wait, their cars fly. Oh wait, they shoot missiles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this. I would I would love more of it. Oh my god, yeah. Th- this was easily like top three, like one of my favorite ones in this collection. I just I just love how like equally like exciting and hilarious it is. Like it it's just so, like it's a big car chase. Like I I don't know what else you could want. Absolutely. 
I want to go back to, uh, much like Escape, uh, Son Cho has some splash text and it's original serialization. It's another issue that we have. Uh, so at the top right, it says, the biggest lead foot in the village. I'm like, yeah, all right, here's a guy who's going to drive fast. <laughs> uh, on the left, it says, Merry Christmas, pedal to the metal one shot. Like, okay, so we're really driving home the, the driving thing. All right, that's what it's going to be about. <laughs> this is a really weird one. So at the very bottom, it also says, it's part of the 1988 Torichan one shot tournament, stage one. Near as we can tell, there is no such thing as the Torichan one shot tournament. It's just Toriyama writing random BS at the bottom of the page. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, just playful hype for this chapter. Yeah. Love yeah. it. <laughs> he probably had a lot of fun doing this one in particular. Yeah, oh, you can tell for sure. I want to give you a, a little uh, minutia thing here too. Uh, if you look early on in the chapter, you might see it says Tonaton Village on the side of the car. Mm. Uh, it's supposed to be Ponpon, which it is later changed to. Uh, mm. Tonton we did have in uh, an earlier work. Um, so it's a little bit of an error there. Yeah, Tonton was Chobit. So, huh? Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, like... Uh-huh. Though not an explicit connection, they're not in the same universe, just a typo. As as far as you know. Yeah, as far as we know. <laughs> Maybe he drove the car so fast, he like broke universes and it changed the, the town name. I could believe it. Oh, I would love that. I, I would love if there was a whole story around that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess other character design notes is that like this girl that the elder stops like in the whole movie, it's just Bulma with black hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the spy guy sort as General Blue's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More volume in his hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I couldn't tell if that girl was supposed to be Bulma or Chi-Chi. Uh, where he looks much more Bulma to me with her eyes and her bangs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the hair. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, her hair saw too. Is, that's Bulma's look as part of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's another one where like I don't have a lot to say about it other than it's just it's just good and I'm probably going to read it a couple more times. Yeah. Well, Toriyama may not have had a like one-shot tournament as he was hyping up in The Elder, but he did have another one-shot in 88, and that is Little Mama Jiro. And this is another kind of straightforward one, is that little kid, titular Mama Jiro, gets upset at his dad, like, eating his ice cream. So he decides to become, like, a juvenile delinquent and goes to ask his friend Joji... Uh, who has a very go-on-type bowl cut, uh, like, you know, how to be a delinquent. And so they try and kind of figure it out. And, like, of course, part of that is, like, riding uh, cool vehicles, like motorcycles and cars. So, you know, returning to the the love of vehicles here. Uh, but then, of course, their attempt to be a delinquent falls by because he stops, like, a criminal with a knife. He's rewarded as a good boy with all the ice cream he can eat, but he's upset about it because he, he looks like a good issue-issues. So, uh, again, kind of straightforward cute little story but yeah well, i mean we're all the things that toriyama likes and i think the highlight is definitely just the fight between mamajiro and his dad at the beginning over the ice cream bar <laughs> yeah, i mean it's more of that escalation from soncho like the, with their fights there when he finally puts it down his mouth it's so good yeah just escalation of something mundane into just something super over the top oh my god the the, the part where like his dad just throws his pickup truck or whatever made me lose it <laughs> yeah what did that mean an ice cream bar? <laughs> I would I would love to see more stories with these two, quite honestly. I think I would just love to read more about Mami Jiro and his dad just like getting into scraps. I, I could I could read more of that stuff. They definitely have a fun dynamic from what we see of it in this chapter. Maybe a little abusive on the dad's part, honestly. He punches his kid like that for an ice cream cup. But you know, just tough love, I guess. No, he he's teaching him how to be a man. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is a very Dragon Ball style of parenting. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if we don't have any more thoughts on Mamajiro, now we have Karamaro and the Perfect Day. Just another kind of sweet story, you know, set in kind of like a period about like, you know, samurai ninja types. But of course, you have the anachronisms of <laughs> there's cars, like, you know. But yeah, so uh, yeah, this is just about like a young shinobi who is tasked to like deliver some matsutake mushrooms and sell them off in the village, but not reveal the fact that he's a shinobi. He comes across kind of this braggart who thinks like he's a really cool ninja and tries to show off to him, but you know, he... He's not very good, of course, but he has a heart of gold because when Karamaru is like, what's attacking are being stolen by a gang of thugs, the guy stands up for him and tries to fight back against him. And of course he gets beaten up, but, you know, Karamaru, after beating the thugs off, like, says, hey, you beat him up, you know, you were a real champion of justice. And then later the guy, like, sells, like, he kind of leaves his car off so that he can accompany Karamaru on his journey back to just look out for him. So I thought it just was a sweet kind of relationship between these two characters. They're pretty likable. Yeah, I really love that Shinobi character that doesn't know what he's doing, but, like, he's sweet. Um, And then also, I this is another time where I was, like, thinking about the cars a lot. I feel like the car had so little bearing on the story and was just there for an excuse to draw a car. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is great. <laughs> you just want to draw a car. You want to at least just have in the story. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that you made it a part of like kind of the emotional note at the end of it. It's like, hey, like yeah. he was very proud of this car, but he was willing to leave it behind just so he could accompany this kid and watch out for him. In a weird way, I feel like he's one of my favorite characters of this whole book. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. It's not like one of my favorite stories in it, but I would read a lot more about uh, those two. Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of these stories where this is one is just the most forgettable to me. But like, there's something about the characters that are always just so endearing. And when you're in the moment with them, you love them. But unfortunately, with Karma like the instant I'm done with them, like, which one was that again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can see that. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to have like a like kind of a quaint little character story like this especially like you know at the time uh in the same issue this was published is like when regina and napa like blow up the city they landed so yeah it's a fun contrast there for sure another thing that makes it hard uh is that karamaru and kanosuke have almost identical designs yeah yeah yeah, he really was drawn to the aesthetic. Yeah, I was literally flipping through this, just kind of skimming through it, and there was a point where I was like, oh, is this like is this like chapter two of Kenosuke? Like, what is this? Yeah, I mean, you could set in the same universe and, you know, it would be pretty believable. Also, this guy has a lot of Mr. Satan DNA. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, more immediately, like, he's braver than Mr. Satan, like, off the bat. Yeah. He's not afraid of getting into a fight against someone potentially stronger than him and standing up for people. But yeah, like the kind of like buffoon with a heart of gold that this is like totally the DNA of Mr. Satan. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Buffoon with a heart of gold. That is that is the type of character that I adore. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, now we, this is like kind of the last like one shot, one shot, because the next uh, three stories, the last three stories we have to talk about are like mini series, essentially, that are published over the course of like several issues of We Jump. And actually, like Cashman, I believe like the issue that Cashman debuted, that's like the first issue of V Jump, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So V Jump came in a couple of phases. It had a trial run in 1990 to 1991, um, November to November. There were just three issues. And so Cashman was published in that. Uh, and then they did a second trial run of V Jump from 92 to 93, which is another thing we'll talk about. And then V Jump did its full, like actual monthly reboot day 
debut in 1993, and it's been running ever since. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting looking. I was like, because, you know, the, the wiki or whatever, like they say, oh, the first issue of We Jump is 93. But no, there is a run of We Jump mm-hmm. that started in 90. Oh, yeah. Every bit of information about Psycho Jump and V Jump elsewhere on the Internet other than content <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> mm, I could believe it. Yeah, no, that's what Consensu is. The most trusted servants comes to <laughs> like a history of a, the published works of Akira Toriyama. And, the and I can say for sure because we own the issues. <laughs> Julian spent a lot of money on these issues. And you can check out Mike flipping through that issue uh, on social and on YouTube. And like you said, like I, I wish we could get this in colors. The color pages of that look super cool. But uh, you know, this and the last miniseries we'll talk about, like I agree, I think the premise of this like is really great for a long running series of like this alien guy. He crash lands on Earth after a scuffle with some space criminals, and you know he does not have enough fuel because his fuel tank was damaged uh, to get home, and his fuel source is gold. You know the equivalent on Earth is gold, and of course that's extremely expensive. He does not have the ability to buy as much gold, so he has to like work as a hero for hire essentially to just earn money. Like he finds people in trouble, he helps them out in exchange for some compensation. He's just working his way up to get like. 17 million yen to buy enough gold to fly him home. So it's a great, like, kind of premise for a long story. Like, you have a clear goal for your protagonist. It's a nice twist on the idea of a transforming superhero where, like, Cashman's true form is, like, you know, his hero form is his true form. He's disguising himself as a human that in a dark kind of setup is like it's a human he killed and then just fused with to like kind of gain a knowledge and understanding of the world. Uh, but yeah, I really like it in terms of premise and setup. And I think the three stories we get out of it are a lot of fun in terms of like character interactions and dynamics. So I could totally see it as a long running story. And I'm, I'm kind of just disappointed in the way the third chapter ends is like, well, like it's kind of a, you know, makes sense that like, yeah, he chose his himself in his real form to the police station when he's training the crooked and so they reward him with a bunch of prize money stuff and then that he can just go home and then i'm just confused though that why i thought the human he refused with died so like how yeah. did he unfuse from him just forget about that no he's fine he's alive no no dark ending there you're totally right about it being like it sets itself up as a perfect world a perfect like Every chapter can just be another little um, vignette of what he's doing to get money. Uh, I think this will tie into a question we get from uh, some folks that wrote in. But uh, Cashman continued after these three chapters. It was not by Toriyama, though. Huh. Uh, so new Cashman, art by a couple names you might know, uh, art by Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru and written by Takao Koyama. Uh, it actually continued a random V-Jump from 97 to 98. Uh, this is another one where Toriyama gets that original work, the Gensaku credit, and then he gets the editorial supervisor credit. That's exactly like he got with uh, episode of Bardock, where Toriyama's not writing or drawing this. Um, but they they did roll with Cashman a little bit after that. So they're, they're, someone thought there were more stories to tell. Uh, Cashman was kind of like the mascot of V-Jump in many ways. I mean, he was there from the very beginning with the the trialist of the trial issues of the magazine. Um, they stuck with it. They did figures. They did a short little 15-minute adaptation. Um, Cashman felt kind of big for the era. Mm, that's really interesting. That's funny to have a mascot for something that's essentially like, um, it's not a cash grab, but it's like your character is literally like a mascot that is like, you know, I'm here for the cash. Uh-huh. <laughs> about money. <laughs> yeah. I'm about the money. Right. Yeah. 
but um, I, I love it. I'm, I, I use the word vignette. Whenever I, I think about vignettes as it relates to Toriyama, it inadvertently makes me think about Dragon Quest. Uh, you go village to village, and there are all these little self-contained stories, and I think that's what Cashman does really well in its three chapters. Uh, I totally agree. If they didn't wrap it up, and obviously Akatsuru and Koyama took it a little further, um, there's a there's a great world here. And you, you want to talk about ideas that Toriyama keeps coming back to. Um, rare metals as a fuel source for a broken spaceship from an alien, like we're going to yep. see that again, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Jacko. Jacko. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think there's like a, an aside joke in the comic where Jocko says something along the lines of like, oh, maybe I can just get gold by um, beating up random criminals. And and, uh, <laughs> oh, and then he like immediately yeah. shrugs uh-huh. it off in the next panel. Uh-huh. uh-huh. There you go. Now <laughs> Even you the concept of this like a space cop is like, oh. Is this like kind of a early C for the idea of galactic patrolmen? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I just like how he uh, shrugs it off immediately. Like, he's making fun of his own work. Like, what if I went in this exact <laughs> direction that I went in before? Ah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great little work. I I love Cashman for what it is. I don't know how much I would truly love seeing more. I uh, I don't know. Three chapters is like real perfect for it. I was gonna say I'm 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 fine with what we got. Um, I'm just happy that Toriyama actually got to do his own like his own sort of like tokusatsu manga after like uh-huh. c- yeah. clearly referencing oh, it yeah. in like pretty much all of his works. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, he could just have like an actual tokusatsu hero and just do some three chapters of that. Yeah, that's that's really fun. And so Toriyama actually says he chose a hero story like that because he was watching those kind of stories with his kid mm. and he was Aww. familiar with them. Um, when he was a kid, they didn't have transforming hero shows, so he wasn't really familiar with them. So uh, that, that was kind of his introduction, doing a little thing inspired by uh, watching shows with the kids. Time-wise, where does this fit in... Um in the run of Dragon Ball. Uh, looking updates uh, on the Kanzanshi manga guide, the run of <laughs> Cashman basically happened all within the span of the Frieza arc. In fact, the third chapter of Cashman basically was published the same week Frieza was defeated when he got sliced in two. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, like, Cashman's design is very indicative of Frieza and, like, a oh, little yeah. bit of yeah. Cell, too. Cell, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I kept thinking, I kept thinking some of these later like miniseries and one shots were like later Dragon Ball, like Boo era stuff. Oh, Ackman definitely was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I got really confused. I, I legitimately couldn't tell like what era of like Dragon Ball this was in or whatever. So I don't, I, I haven't read Dragon Ball in a while. So maybe that's it. But yeah, I, I, de- I, de- I definitely got my wires crossed there while I was uh, reading these. Yeah, I can see Cashman kind of feeling like a later one. But then when you look at the artwork, like mm, it really feels like kind of Cyan Frieza era artwork the way he's designing these characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Part of that is probably the big jump between um, Karamaru, like the look of Karamaru oh, and the yeah. look of Cashman, mm-hmm. because uh, vastly different styles. It makes it look like it's like uh, so much further ahead. Yeah, and that's from February 89 to November 90. So that that is a fairly big jump in time. And the yeah. fact that he has been doing Dragon Ball that whole time, like, yeah, that art style is going to change. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to move on to the next one, but um, I, li- I, I kind of like Dub and Peter. I, I enjoyed that one quite a lot, actually. I thought it was fun. It's a cute little story. This one was actually my least favorite, actually, but there's still a lot to like about it, of course. Like, the design of Dub actually stood out to me 
interesting because it, it definitely is a later Toriyama design. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it also reminds me a lot of like kind of GT style designs in a weird way with the way the yeah. eyes are shaped, the, the shape of the head. Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. And also just the highlights, I guess, uh, in Dub's hair and just the way the characters render. It felt like kind of that era of like GT and then later some 97. That stood out to me in an interesting way because obviously this was published between 92 and 93, like, much before then. And it's not, like, reflective of, like, the style that, you know, Dragon Ball necessarily had at the time, aside from, like, some shape line elements, I think. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there's another one that's just all about the car, honestly, you know? (laughs) There was a disconnect for me because I thought it was about Dub and Peter, not about Dub and the car. Peter won. Like, Peter (laughs) is, is barely in the comic just to make modifications to the car when needed. No. Yeah. yeah. Get beat up and berated by Dub for the car not doing what he wants. I like that. I, I think we get a little more of, again, that word, the escalation as things go on. Uh, and, and I like that about the short series. Yeah. I mean, it starts super mundane. Yeah. 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 You know, because like he just wants to pick up chicks for his car. But then it gets into just like this crazy like car chase. Uh, then the car starts flying. Yeah, by the way, I can fly too. (laughs) (laughs) Shooting blizzards at her. Yeah, it's just, it does escalate in a funny way. And it has a good punchline of like, oh, the girl who was trying to pick up was married. So yeah, I love that so much. Now, was the the entirety of this comic in color originally or no? Uh, I would have to go check. I don't think every page is. A good portion of it is. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a lot of it was anyway. I don't think I have all four of these issues, but I probably have, I have at least two, maybe three. So this was the, we're talking about V-Jumpiness trial run. So first three issues, 90, 91, again, that was Cashman. So this is the second trial run of V-Jump from 92 to 93. There were four issues there. Uh, November 92, February 93, March 93, April 93. Um, this is where Tuppen Peter was in. So we did get some nice kind of like glossy pages with color. They're, they're really hyping it up. So V-Jump continuing along with kind of like this flagship Toriyama manga to keep it going. Mm-hmm. I, I like how one of the um one of the goons is literally just Nappa in like a school outfit. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he also reminds me of like the the crook that go on his great Siaman beats up. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Which timing wise, it'd be a little before that character would have show up in the series. Could sell our cat and ended yet. Not to rewind too much, but in Cashman, those like thug characters and the like the middle schoolers or whatever. I loved the designs of them because like you got that massive guy in like the schoolboys outfit. <laughs> yeah. I mean Toriyama's love of like tall guy, short guy pairings, too. Uh-huh, big guys yeah. Yeah. Yep, always. <laughs> A really tall elementary school kid. <laughs> Just <laughs> Looks like an adult. Yeah, that was a funny design choice, too. No, again, this is another one where it's just escalating action with fun car chases. I admittedly just didn't like, I guess, Peter as, uh, I mean, no dub as a character that much and thought that Peter was picked on a little too much. But I think that if it continued on as a series, you know, it would have been pretty fun to watch the characters, especially like, you know, if they did more fun stuff with like the car and stuff. Yeah, like how how far would they take that car? Uh-huh. Yeah, like <laughs> would it transform into like a giant robot at some point, you know? Like, oh, how man, certainly. Like this? Almost <laughs> definitely it would. <laughs> <laughs> Dub and Peter one suddenly becomes Gurren Lagan at some point. I mean, you gotta <laughs> yeah. go that far. I would read that. You saying that like Dub kind of looks like um, the guy from uh, Megas XLR a little bit. 
Coop. I see that. You know, I kind of see it. He does look like a shorter, younger Coop. Uh, honestly, he also reminded me, you know, to talk about like me thinking about, oh, this, this is like a very GT style era design. It's like he reminds me of like a Goku Jr.'s friend, Puck, I think is his name. Oh, in yeah. The Hero's Puck. Journey mm-hmm. special. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because we're still a couple of years before that. I mean, we're still 92, 93. Oh, absolutely. I mean, maybe that was a dime inspiration for that character. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a fun one. And this brings us to the last of their miniseries uh, in this collection that we're going to talk about uh, after it was published in We Jump. So this is started right when We Jump uh, became like an official, like uh, regularly serialized magazine. Exactly. Uh, the July 93 date a month issue of We Jump. Ah, so yeah, right in the, the debut issue of like We Jump as like a regular magazine then. Yep, I mean each each one from the trials to the monthly debut, we get a flagship Toriyama manga to go with it. Nice, and yeah, like Akman, I think is my favorite out of all the the stories and concepts because I just think the premise of it of like you know this demon kid, he's like tr- just trying to go and collect souls, and he runs afoul of like his angel rival, who in his attempts <laughs> to like try and stop him ends up killing. <laughs> A lot more people and doing his job for him. Just a fun concept. That dynamic is so good. Oh, it's Toriyama humor. So good. (laughs) Yeah. This is the one I was looking forward to reading in English the most. And I was kind of in most disbelief. Like I'm finally reading Ackman in in English. Because this is, um, it was kind of like its own little mini empire. It got, I think, three Super Famicom games, a Game Boy game. I mean, it was... I mean, think about what 93 was. I mean, that was a big time for Toriyama styles and video games. And it's in V-Jump. They can push their own franchise. They got their partners at Bondi. Like, it just all gelled all together at the same time. Um, Ackman was kind of, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Not a huge deal, but also ran deal alongside Dragon Ball there. Mm, that's that's interesting. No, that is really cool. That it has like multiple games based off like the short civilization that just ran for like a few months, a few chapters. That's pretty impressive. Like you even got a Game Boy. Yeah. Dang. That's pretty cool, actually. But, uh, yeah. So, like the the escalation. I you know just to talk about like this starts as something like kind of you know petty, and then it just goes into absurd places. Just like the angel continuing to trust higher, like more like uh, assassins to get rid of Akman, but they all just fall apart because he easily dispatches them, and then eventually he tries to do it himself. Like he trains for a year and becomes super buff Isn't and rich. That awesome reveal, yeah. It's so yeah. Good. <laughs> well, I'll do it myself. And it's great. The angel was clearly the star of the show. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he just Ackman just like shoots him. It's like that's not fair. You can't use a gun. And he's like, oh well, I have to go train to be a the best gunshot now. Is that is God? It's so good. So Ackman itself did also get a short um, as part of V Jump Fest uh, adaptation. Um, it didn't do all of the chapters, but a fair amount of the early. No, ones. mostly that's the angel uh, yeah, yeah. focused chapters, and they skip I think chapter six or something like that. But the gunshot and the adaptation, the anime version, that I lost it at that. Like it's funny <laughs> on the manga page, but there's just something about the the timing on the screen for that. Normally, I'm like Toriyama manga comedy timing is perfect and i think dr slump kind of ruins it at times um but the this one little the gunshot moment in the anime version was perfect Ooh. yeah there's some really well-timed humor in that and the performance is also super super funny yeah that was i really like this concept a lot you know there's of course one joke in this that i feel we have to acknowledge not 
very good, a transphobic uh, joke, yeah. which, right. you know, so I wanted I'm glad to... that they don't call the character. Oh, go ahead. I, oh, yeah. I wanted to get everyone's take on this. Um, so I, I did go back to the original Japanese on this. And the, the phrase they use in Japanese is new half. I don't know that that's in popular use anymore. I can't really speak authoritatively to that. My understanding is that it's traditionally levied at like sex workers and performers, which is kind of what that character is. Um, I'm in, you know cis white guy whatever straight yeah i i don't have much of an opinion on this kind of stuff i mean i guess i have an opinion it's not really worthwhile um but my reading of this kind of stuff is typically toriyama's joke is what it is and there's usually not much more to it mm -hmm. like there it's it's not much of a uh, like commentary I don't know how, yeah like the, the punchline isn't even the punchline it's just like there it is and that's all there is to it like there's actually nothing more to it but again i i don't know how much worthwhile stuff I can say on that. So I'm really curious to get someone else's take. Yeah. I mean, for me, like the, the joke is kind of predicated on the fact that Ackman, you know, he's very bashful uh, around women and bodiness, you know? So the whole plan of the angel is like, Oh, I'm going to like use this prostitute to kind of like paralyze Ackman because he'll be like too like, distracted to like unable to act because he's just transfixed and I mean it's a great plan <laughs> yeah no it's it's a funny plan it almost worked uh, but the <laughs> fact that it does the re and the reason it wasn't working why like the joke doesn't sit well with me is that upon the revelation that Josephine has a penis like Ackman you know all of that like yeah it's kind gone. of yeah paralyzation is gone and the implication there is like you know Ackman you know when he thought this person was a cis woman like he was paralyzed and he was like super embarrassed when now seeing that oh this person has a penis he doesn't see her as a woman anymore mm. and so he can fight back and so there's just the implication there the subtext there that oh it's not this person Josephine she's not a quote-unquote real woman like yeah and you know translation wise like at least like you know she isn't called like a a slur she's just called mm -hmm. transgender which she is you know but just the fact that the joke is oh you know he thought she was a woman but she's not a cis woman uh she's not a you know in this character's mind a a real woman that he's going to feel embarrassed about like that's what comes off is just very ill taught out and like i said it does feel like a transphobic joke even though like i guess the character isn't like treated poorly but just in the top process of like how the joke should land it is like implicitly saying like oh like a trans woman is not the same thing as a real cis woman quote unquote yeah th this is one of those things where like i i feel like you, you can argue about like Toriyama's intentions all you want, but the fact is like that implication is still there no matter what he was going mm -hmm. for is the thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he has a bad history with queer characters and jokes that there. It's been across his work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like you can argue whether he had malicious intent or not, but the fact is it's still there, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And it's used as a punchline, too. Yeah. It, if nothing else, reveals some unconscious biases. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, th this was definitely one of those things where I was like, yeah, it's it's hard for me to tell uh, whether any th there was any real like malicious intent or not. And, th and I think that's the thing that kind of makes me uncomfortable is the fact that we don't know and we can only assume, which I don't really want to assume, but it's like, yeah, it's 
it's it's not the best joke. I don't know. Yeah, it didn't feel like the humor of it was worthwhile for uh, yeah, the, yeah. the poor taste it's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a shame because I like the setup, the rest of the chapter, you know, a lot. And, it's, you know, this does get adapted into the anime short. It's the climax of it. It's pretty much as is. The, especially when the music was playing, it is, like, amusing that Ackman is, like, paralyzed by just a sexy woman dancing. And the, But, yeah, you know, just the real, the, the implication behind the joke is just not very good. Even though I sort of, I appreciate the audacity of, like... Them animating Josephine uh, when she's completely naked and like her <laughs> saying like swing <laughs> swing it's like wow uh, but yeah I do want to say that before I realized what that what the reveal was supposed to be I do love the detail of how the exclamation points are just shaped like penises that actually made me laugh quite yeah a lot. <laughs> that is also very funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like overall, Ackman, I I think this is. This is my favorite miniseries out of the three, because I think this concept has the most potential for, like, a long-running thing. I mean, it it is the longest out of all the miniseries, like, in chapter count or whatever. But, yeah, I just I just love everything with Ackman and his family. And, like, I, I especially love his, like, back and forth with the angel, especially during his first debut, where, like, you know, he is accidentally killing all these people and it becomes yeah. wanted. And He blows up a whole death. He's a deadly Batman. It's very like spy versus spy or yeah. Wiley Coyote yeah, yeah. Roadrunner. And it's like, it's just a good dynamic. Totally. Like, I could have easily read more of this, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. I got a couple just like Toriyama-isms design things I wanted to, to mention. The aliens, the Martians. I mean, this is Toriyama's default alien design. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot to mention where we saw it in like one of the earliest, earliest one shots. I think character like drew it. I think it was Pola and Royd. I think I noticed Maybe. that. Yeah, yeah. You're going to use that for 40 years. <laughs> oh, and this is basically the Galactic Patrol King guy. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, I want to mention Akaman's name. It's Akuman in Japanese, and that is literally the exact same spelling as Akuman from Dragon Ball. Uh, so it's a, a reused name. Uh, and just the, the young demon character. I mean, we get that again in Sandland as well, but uh, I think this is a good Toriyama trope, as opposed to like the Kanosuke, the Mamajiro kind of characters. Like, I, I like them. They're fine. But I think when you get that little twist of like, oh, it's a demon, uh, I think you can do something new and interesting in that world and i think he really pulls it off with Ackman here mm-hmm. absolutely i do really like Ackman's design a lot too you know he's basically like kid trunks but like <laughs> noseless, <laughs> heavier like outlines under his eyes and then of course pointy ears but yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really <laughs> enjoyable design. it feels most in line with uh my other favorite toriyama uh work kawa yeah because yeah, like yeah, all yeah. the demons and monsters and yes, i love yeah, that yeah. angle that he takes he has such a good take on that angle. Oh my god! I think one of my f- favorite things, just playing into the fact that these units like all worship like villainy and evilness, is like how they replace like good or positive sounding words and idioms and phrases with you know bad words. Like bad they say, morning, bad, bad morning, morning. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> evilness, me. <laughs> Satan, H. Lucifer. Unholy crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's great world building. It's perfect. I love it. Oh man, I oh, wanted to see more about the family. There wasn't yeah. that much about yeah. them. Yeah, you don't get much about. Yeah, I guess them, that's so. true. It's a shame. Yeah, that that's such a simple like comedic little trope thing, but I love it. Yeah, 
No, there were a lot of good ideas and good characters set up in this one. Like, yeah, like if he had continued it on an even longer story, like I would have definitely really ate it up. And hey, I, I mean, it was its own mini franchise, as you said. Like, it got so many games. So that's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea. That's really that's really interesting. But wow, man, I, I think I think that's all the one shots. No, we made it through <laughs> it. We covered like this entire 600 plus page book, all 21 of these stories. And yeah, like there is a lot to say about a lot of these. It's just an interesting look through the, the history of Toriyama as an artist, like just across the span of these stories from like his like earliest published works to works through his publishing towards the later end of Dragon Ball, like Boo era stuff, like Akmon. So that's super cool. Yeah. So like, I think that, you know, that does it for our coverage of each story. So uh, before we get into our Q&As, do you want to give like our final thoughts and takeaways about this book, about like this collection of stories and what it tells us about Toriyama and his development as an artist? Um, Toriyama's comics are good. That, that, that's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> that sums it up. Wow. Yeah. That right. sums it up. So, so, so brave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very hot take. <laughs> Darren, I, I'd love to hear from your perspective, like um, art critique, especially like seeing Toriyama's evolution over so many years here um, in his manga. And especially as you, you've seen some of his post Dragon Ball work as well. You mentioned Jocko. I uh, talking about Calvin Sandland. Um, what's it like on a, this crash course in Toriyama? Oh, that's such a big question. That's a really big question. <laughs> um, one thing I'm noticing offhand that I'll uh, mention first and foremost, like the some of the earlier works, they have a lot of like more stout characters, um, a lot mm-hmm. of thick lines. Um, mm-hmm. We get into like Dragon Ball era, a lot thinner lines, um, more detailed work. And then somehow by the time it gets to Jocko, like it's back to thick lines. <laughs> back and, uh, yeah. yeah, but almost more... There's like more conscious design work in Jocko than there is in like the early work. But regardless of all that, every single uh, vehicle design of Toriyama, A+, he must have had a ton of time working with that beforehand. All the character designs are, uh, I mean, some of them are a little bit recycled from here and there, but he's got great character expressions, great action shots, like from the start. It feels like there's a lot of work that he's probably done before this that's like led up to even even just the the like first one shots and stuff because right off the bat i think he's got everything he needs to make good work and he's undeniably toriyama already at that point oh yes yes uh, unapologetically sure yeah but yeah he's he's got so much personality in his work that you just rarely see it's not just clean even though it is clean it's like he just puts so much of himself into it I wish I could I like could think of more to say about it specifically. I feel like his uh layouts I guess they get less experimental as they go on. Um it's true. But mm, yeah. maybe that comes with him knowing more what he's doing. But his paneling, I feel, does become a little bit looser. Like, I think that he does try and cram a lot more in in those earlier works where, I mean, as we talked about, he starts to explore with more cinematic ways of telling stories and laying out a page, which is interesting to witness his development. As he starts to figure out action more and how to communicate action in his stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it is action that he kind of needs the most work on from the start that he kind of grows into, which, of course, you would do that having the most prominent like action manga of all time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because we were kind of talking at the top of the show, like what era of Toriyama we all kind of personally prefer. And I mean, like, here's the thing, you know, I, I said it already, but all, all Toriyama manga is good. 
Like, I think that's the thing I realized while reading through this collection is even though there were, uh, there were a lot of stories that I liked more than others, like, I never had a bad time reading his comics. And I, like, th there was never really, like, a real lull. Like, I, I had fun with, like, every story. Like, there was something I liked about each one-shot or miniseries or whatever. And um, I, I will say, I think, in terms of my preferences personally, I do, like, again, reading Dr. Slump for the show coming up, like, and a lot of his earlier stuff from pre and somewhat post-Dr. Slump, like, I really do appreciate when Toriyama has the freedom to just kind of do whatever he wants because... For me, th that's when I have the most fun reading his comics. Like, I, I think I've realized that I, I think I like his more straightforward stories, the more plotted ones a little less, but like, I still think they're good, but... I don't know, like, w when it came to stuff like, you know, Cashman or, like, Dub and Peter One, like, th those were some of the stories where I still enjoyed them, but th there's really something to be said about his Dr. Slump stuff, and especially, like, the Majin Buu arc or whatever of Dragon Ball, you know, where he, he does kind of have that freedom to just kind of go from one thing to another, and it's not always the most, like, it doesn't make for, like, the most cohesive story, but in terms of, like, I don't know, like, you, you can, you can, I think I enjoy his stuff more when I can tell, like, he's just kind of having fun drawing whatever he wants. Like, I think, I think that's when I get the most out of his stuff, just personally speaking. 100% agree with that. I just think it's monumentally important that we finally have a release of this. So many other countries have had it and have had it for years or decades. Uh, to actually be holding this in my hands in English, translated by someone I consider a friend, put out by a company I've taken issue with over the years for lots of different stuff, <laughs> but uh, I'm still so appreciative that this is here. It's it's kind of as perfect as I could ask for. I love it. It's amazing to finally be looking at it I, I will say i don't agree with greg on everything either w whether it's within dragon ball or outside so i'm always gonna i'm i'm mike i'm fujito ex i run consensu i got i got my nitpicks i'm gonna have them <laughs> that said it's it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful uh, i'm so happy that other people who exclusively speak english can finally absorb this stuff and see toriyama's history and his growth as an artist as a writer um i i say it's it's a tough thing to say, but I I kind of stand firm on you don't really know Toriyama as an author unless you've read Doctor Slump. I think it's okay if all you're into is Dragon Ball. It's tough because it starts to get into the boogeyman of gatekeeping uh, yeah, around yeah. there. But I I still think it's so monumentally important to to check this stuff out if you are a Dragon Ball fan and want to learn more beyond just the words and the panels on those pages like there's there's a person there's a craft there's a history there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of boils on his butt that you don't <laughs> get to hear about <laughs> there, there's a lot that happened and and here it all is kind of like just read it you can just read you can just read blank piece theater now it's wild. You don't even have to buy the book. No, it's two dollars. Nope. You can go read it all if you want for a month. <laughs> totally. No, that is so well put. Like, you know, if you are a Dragon Ball fan, like this definitely will enrich your understanding and appreciation of how where Toriyama was coming from as an artist and how he grew over the course of his career. And then you'll see the seeds of what would become Dragon Ball in so many of these stories. Yeah, you'll only like Dragon Ball more if you yeah, read this. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. But also just as a manga fan, like it's just a fun collection of stories of someone who is unquestionably one of the most influential artists of his time, whose influence is still felt to this day. Oh, yeah. So there's just a lot here that's just entertaining to read just on their own merits, like even beyond the historical context. You know, for me, it was like my former experience with manga, uh, where with 
you know, Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball, Toriyama was a huge influence. I mean, I just love uh, the early era of his art in Dr. Slump in particular, like being able to see even more stories that I need, even to go even beyond Dr. Slump, before Dr. Slump, to show like, hey, here are some of his earliest published comics and the earliest seeds of ideas that would grow into that series and then complement uh, my understanding of like Toriyama's Dolan as artist by reading this and then reading Dr. Slump and checking like, okay, at which point were these stories published with that? when stories in that were published and all the way into Dragon Ball like okay and it's really cool just to read through the book beginning to end and see how Toriyama's art style changed how he'd figure out different things uh, in terms of like how he wanted to communicate actually what kind of stories he wanted to tell and his like storytelling and it's just really really fun to read just the book from that angle to just see the development of this really incredible talent artist who was talented from day one but just only grew in his craft over this period that is this book encompasses a decade and a half so it's just it's a lovely collection I would love to see more like one shots from other artists or like collections of short stories from other artists because I feel like they're treated a little bit like they're throwaway yeah but Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like having these short stories like tells so much about the artist and it's like you get these little little short stories are great. Like I know the there's like a new uh, Rumiko Takahashi short story book that I have yet to get into. Yeah, I mean, Takahashi is another one I can point to. It's like, I love the Rumor Teeter, Rumor Grill collections. Mm, yeah, There's mm-hmm. so, Takahashi has produced just so many one shots over the course of her career, but especially in the 80s, uh, just seeing the different, like, short work she was doing alongside, like, two incredibly popular serializations that she was doing at the same time. It's just so interesting to just track her development and her exploration of different stories across all her works. And, you know, I love Takahashi as my screen name uh, on the internet implies so it just <laughs> I love just reading those I was so happy that came to me or came out recently uh, I guess plug I was on Saturday Night Shoggy to talk about that but hopefully podcast will come out uh, around when this comes out but yeah no it's I love short story collections especially ones that like are, are focusing on like you know tracking some stories that are really important in artist history or like show off like how an artist grew over time like that came to mirror collections also one that spans a multi-year period of Takahashi's different one-shots uh, in big comic other magazines. And uh, yeah, I hope this as well here just to convince Viz to publish other similar collections and uh, especially republish more Toriyama, but uh, other short story Like definitely, I want to republish a Rumic World and Rubik Theater. Long out of print. So yeah, if we can get more stuff uh, from Toriyama, more collections like this, I think that should be super cool. I think one-shot collections are very very underrated and yes we definitely could use more of them. Can, can i can i just say um this really makes me hopeful that one day viz will finally bring out um oda's wanted collection yes mm. yeah that's what i was that's gonna say important one that's the one i want that that's something i would buy day one i've always wanted to own that officially that's a pre-order for me yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. i just want to mention that there's actually more Toriyama that hasn't been collected even in Japan. Oh, man. Um, so there's Lady Red, Rocky, Wolf, Inli, Peke, Tokimeka, Bubul of Demon Village, Makimai the Longfish, Shotam, Abalichan, Kintoki. We are long overdue Japan for volume four of <laughs> Toriyama Akira Marusaku Gekijo, a please. 
Thank you very totally. much. Totally. <laughs> yeah, no, it's wild. A lot of those have not been collected. I mean, we talked about it at Kentucky recently, just the stray chapter published by uh, Jump. But yeah, yeah. no, seriously. Well, I mean, some of those, like Lady Red did make it into Emperor's Feast. Um, Booble, I think, made it into like a Shueisha Jump remix, like compilation of other stuff. Um, but yeah, we got enough for a volume for Toriyama. Let's go. Totally. Yeah, I, I was honestly going to ask like how much more Toriyama d- uh, could we get in English, and apparently there is a lot. I was surprised a lot. I just I saw Joey Frenner show Joey Weiser and Frenner show Max Brenner talk about that recently. I was like, oh wow, yeah, there's a lot that still needs to be collected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Well, ho- hopefully, hopefully this does well enough to where if something like that does come along, Viz will uh, consider picking it up. That would be cool. Hopefully, hopefully. But yeah, go 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 buy this. Seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. I think all yeah, of us... w- Was that not clear? Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't yet gotten the gist from the last three hours of conversation, yes. Uh, enthusiastic recommendation from all of us. I should hope you've already bought it if you've gotten this far. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think we set our piece on blank piece theater, or however we want to call it. But we actually do have some Q&As from listeners who are interested on some more of our thoughts. And we kind of have like a same question from two different folks, Dexter Morrill and Gabe Kalaba, who basically asked like if one of the other one shots they got on a chance to get in the series, which would we have liked to see more of? Mm. Like, thinking about all the stories in here that I would actually probably read more of, and not just stories that, like, oh, I like in the moment, but I'm not, like, itching to see more of, necessarily. Um, I I mean, I know I technically got, like, 11 chapters already, but I would seriously actually love more Ackman. I agree with that. Yeah, Ackman was my favorite, so I totally would love more of that. But I guess to choose, like, a different answer, like, something that was, like, actually a one-shot... I could see a lot of potential in, you know, the elder uh, Maybe. with that character. You know, just excuses for trying to draw crazy car chases. <laughs> so I think that would be a good one. And actually, Tong Pu obviously left itself open for more adventures with their planet hopping. So that'd be another good candidate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Dragon Boy and Tong Pu like naturally lead into mm-hmm. more adventures. Yeah. But we got Dragon Ball. So I really don't know that Toriyama would be able to come up with anything. I think I'm, yeah, I'm in the, the boat of Cashman and Ackman. Like those lend themselves to additional stories. So I'd, I'd read them. I got to check. I haven't actually ever purchased the uh, Nakatsuru and Koyama new Cashman. I got to check that out myself. Mm, but but Mike, I, uh... you don't you don't want more Wonder Island? i'm good thank you very much we we got more wonder island it's called dr slump we did that's fair i didn't like it there either (laughs) i have no idea where it would go but i would read more madmatic just for seeing larger creatures and larger ships and yeah uh, there's no story basis for it to continue but i mean such a one shot yeah what tread would you continue it with but like just the idea of like them teaming up with their like uh dragon companion going around fighting off like evil empires and their crazy like warships it does sound like a lot of fun yeah yeah mm-hmm. but actually the tongpu become dragon connection is like oh wait a minute this just sparked another thing in me like the planet hopping is this is this another seed for the idea for dragon ball gt in tongpu sure yeah, yeah. it's in pleasant space oh that's just another idea that popped in my head i can see that but yeah I want to ask you guys, because um, my friends are dumb and can't read. Did you get their responses to my actual additional <laughs> tweets? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't respond to the actual tweet in question, but 
you know? I No, I did. I got, like, okay. Cypher's uh, question up next for us to talk about, where he asks, like, why is Pink Heads in a way the best shorty ever did, and why can they never find a copy of Fresh Jump Issue they were published in? To which Julian replies, well, he was on a tear at the time. He's just really in his game. And two, uh, because we have it in your house. Yes. Like. <laughs> we got the one issue. There's only one. There was only ever one published now. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so, I feel privileged. We have Pink. We have Madmatic. We have Dragon Boy. We have Tong Poo. Uh, we got a bunch of these other ones. Um, it was really important for us to put this stuff in context, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I was, I was sharing some of the things that were written on the chapter title page. Like that's not in the collected edition. I feel like for something like Escape, it, it puts it in a whole different kind of like worldview for you. Oh yeah. Um. So to be able to document and share that kind of stuff, uh, and also I just feel real cool, kind of pulling them out of a drawer and be like, "Look at me, I got pink." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's so cool. Like to be able to have like pieces of history like that, just those yeah. original issues. And Cypher also has uh, another question, you know, asking what relationship do we see between like his short works and one volume series and his work on the recent Dragon Ball films in terms of how they operate as short fiction influences, differences, lessons that might be taken. I don't know how to answer this question. It's that's such a, oh, I think, I think Ian needs to answer that himself because I don't really have anything <laughs> for it here. But yeah, like the way that Toriyama writes stories now, his movies do feel like the way he writes a one-shot, hmm. starting from like the Mad Medic era onward of one-shots, like a Mr. Ho or a own show. Like this is the setup, here is the escalation, and here's everyone laughing at the end or like some, um, we're going to pull the rug out from underneath you at the end kind of thing. I do feel structurally, yeah, it's like a lot of setup for characters in the first half of the story. And then the second half is just all action, all straight to the end. And with maybe a little time left for denouement. Yeah, but then you get things like Toriyama writing in the script. Uh, and everyone has a big fight. You figure it out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I mean, his outlines are basically like, uh, yeah, here are the, the plot beats. And then you figure out like the actual details of like how the actual <laughs> fighting is going to go. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that, that was an interesting question that, yeah, I, I can't really wrap my mind around because I, I think a big aspect to that question is also like, I mean, I, I don't know Toriyama's writing process between, you know, writing for a comic and writing for a film. I, I just I just feel like writing for both comes with a huge set of differences because they're both like such different mediums. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it's especially with like modern Dragon Ball, he's mostly like writing kind of the outline of a story rather than like fully fleshing out all the details of the story himself. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely it for the manga. Well, the Dragon Ball Super manga is such a weird thing. It's, it's so different and it changes from arc to arc. I will plug the last, last podcast episode that I did last August uh, with Ian actually talking uh, about that as opposed to the movies where he does actually write the script like in total. For the movies. So, yeah, like you were just saying, it's a very different kind of uh, work process for mm-hmm. him. I mean, the, the the long and short of that podcast, which I, I definitely enjoyed, by the way, was um, is that, you know, the Dragon Ball Super, the manga becomes a more collaborative process as it goes on. Like, it's not like it, it's yeah. not yeah. just Toriyama being like, do this, this and this and this. What's this, a Toriyama yeah. idea? What's a Toriyotaro mm-hmm. idea? Yeah. Right. And, and what does it really matter in the end? Anyway, mm-hmm. because yeah. The printed page is what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, listen to my podcast. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, definitely listen to Consensu. Yeah, do it. Because, I mean, again, like we mentioned before at the start of the show, like Consensu is just like the premier resource for Dragon Ball history, uh, discussion, knowledge. You know, both of us have been long time this for a year. And it was just a pleasure to have you on the show to talk about this really incredible piece of Tori Andrews made available to us recently. And it's such a pleasure, Mike. 
Yeah, thanks, y'all. I mean, I I love Toriyama. As problematic as our tax evading, you know, <laughs> punching down <laughs> guy can be, uh, there's just something about him uh, as an author and as an artist that has captivated me uh, since 1996, and I can't let it go, and I don't want to let it go. So, hey, same. Yeah. Uh, anything I can do to spread the good word about his work and uh, kind of help folks understand it a little more. I wouldn't say better, just a little more. Uh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we really, really appreciate it. And we also incredibly appreciated having you on the show, Darren. You know, we've been big fans of your comics for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying comics on the spot. It's a lot of fun. Here you work through like coming up with ideas of the story and then just seeing the finished comics you guys put out. So it's so much fun. I'm super looking forward to the relaunch of Star Tales. So yeah. Yeah, I am super keen to read the anthology. And yeah, like hopefully this podcast will be out within the span of uh, when the Kickstarter uh, is still out. But yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me on. No, yeah. I mean, I, I just want to say you're you're probably like my favorite artist to follow on Twitter. I really love your stuff. That is, I don't even know what to do with that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an honor. Yeah. But again, thank you guys so much. And, you know, we love to have you on the show. Hopefully we can have you on again in the future to talk about more Doriyama, Dragon Ball, just comics you love. Mm-hmm. But until then, let's plug where people can find you guys and follow more of your great work. Sorry with you, Mike. You know, I want to plug where you can find Consensu on uh, social and all your different channels. Sure. Kanzenshu. K-A-N-Z-E-N-S-H-U-U. You type that in, you will find us. Um, That is a word we made up when I combined sites with uh, my buddy Heath um, from Kanzentai. I was Daisenshu EX at the time, so we we literally merged our names together and made a new thing called Kanzenshu. It is a website. It is a podcast. We have a forum. Like We we do anything there is on the internet. We're trying to do it. I'm making TikToks begrudgingly these days because I gotta (laughs) beat the kids where they are. Uh, I I am, I am old. We do old people stuff. I truly believe that the written word is the best way to provide information. So even though we do a podcast and we do videos and stuff, um, the website is the central location for all of that. Um, I believe in archival. I believe in history. I believe in context. Uh, I believe in preservation. So that's what Konzenshu is all about. We want to tell you who said what, where, when, why, how, who, uh, just everything there. So yeah, news, but also translations. We have an archive of press materials like magazine articles you name it about dragon ball we try to do it um and i've been doing this site again since 1998 i don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon this is this is my life's work it's talking about dragon ball online absolutely and we're here for it and thankful for it oh yeah and yeah no as we've plugged many times definitely go and follow consensus work for just the most comprehensive like dragon ball resource of information and discussion Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not the last time we'll be plugging Consenshu for sure. Oh, no. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> and Darren, where can people follow you and your work? All right, let's hope I don't trip over my spiel here. First off, you can follow my work uh, mostly on Twitter uh, at Darren Vote Art. It's D A R R E N V O G T A R T. 
And uh, there are two things I have to plug. Uh, one is a podcast slash comics project that I do with Sam Owen and John Bernardo and occasional writer or artist guests. It's called Comics on the Spot. What we do is we sign on, we randomly generate a sentence or a phrase or something like that. And then we go down the line trying to work out a one to three page comic based on that phrase. And then we build a skeleton for it, sign off, draw those comics, put them up for free on our website, which is currently comicsonthepod.com because we could not secure comicsonthespot.com. On Twitter, we're also Comics on the Pod. And um, last but not least, uh, Star Tales is the rebranding of Jump Tales we launched sometime at the end of last year. Uh, had a little too ambitious of a funding goal, but this time we're coming back around as Star Tales. It is a manga-inspired magazine where we have a lot of really, really skilled creators. Um, there's Sam Owen again. There's C. Thomas Anderson. We've got Ollie Gerlach. Uh, Stephanie Vlusha, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, I could go down the line. Bailey Underwood. I don't want to leave anybody out, but I, I could be going for a while because there's a, a bunch of us. Uh, but we'll be launching March 15th. It's four ongoing series about battles of the bands, chess. There's one about like anti-grav skateboarding. Uh, there's all kinds of good stuff there. You can check that out. Uh, I believe our Twitter handle is Star Tales Mag. And then also just check out the Kickstarter. Just look up Star Tales issue one. Uh, please support us. Uh, if for some reason this is not out by the time that the Kickstarter is finished, uh, I'm just going to be confident and say we will be funded. So look forward to uh, your copies coming in whenever they do. Yeah, congrats on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And I think that's all I got to plug right now. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said before, really enjoy listening to comics on the spot and i'm really excited and pulling for star tales and definitely supporting that we're definitely gonna be promoting hopefully this podcast will be out while the the kickstarter is still up and running to draw some more folks to it but even if it comes after yeah you know we're really looking forward to the work you guys are doing Mm -hmm. in the comments you guys are making on that we really appreciate it absolutely and yeah this was a lot of fun guys but now you know sit in the theater the movie is over the main part's gone, but we still have a, a little credits left to go. And so me and Colton are going to sit through them. But, you know, I guess, you know, you guys, if you want to leave, go to the bathroom. Uh, I will let you off here. <laughs> All right. I will stop and save. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And yeah, thank you from my end, too. I really appreciate you all having me on and talking about awesome Toriyama comics that I've been wanting for ever and are now finally, thank goodness, out. Mm hmm.
point again to Mike and Darren for joining us to discuss Toriyama My Theater. It was just so great to talk about this really incredible collection of Toriyama's early work and his work besides his big hits during their publications. And it was fantastic to have just two wonderful people, wonderful perspectives to talk about it with. And I really was so satisfied and happy with our conversation. And I hope that you guys really enjoyed listening to it too. So big thanks to, again, Darren and Mike for coming on. But of course, Kanzenshu in particular, they've been doing great work in reporting Dragon Ball history for many, many years now. And recently, the site itself celebrated the 10th anniversary of its fusion between Gai Zenshu and Gai Zentai. And so Mike and Heat kind of got together for a podcast retrospective on the history of their respective sites and their journeys in fandom and how they ended up fusing their sites and how they've ended up growing even more than they ever thought over the past 10 years, which is a really awesome story to hear from two fan of veterans and people really leading the fandom in their reporting in the knowledge that they're providing about this series and all the context around it which I so very much appreciate and a lot of their work in the past couple of years have specifically been on reporting about Toriyama's early work and drawing comparisons between it and the influences it's had especially on Dragon Ball they did a previous podcast a few years ago which talked about Dragon Dragon Boy and Tonfu and how those titles influence Dragon Ball. They have an entire guide on their site that talks about the various Dragon Ball prototypes. So definitely check those out as supplements to your listening. And of course, like their manga guides for Toriyama's utter work are an invaluable resource in terms of looking updates and comparing things and stuff. And in addition to that, they also are doing a great job with their rumor guides, dispelling misinformation in the Greenian fandom. And last month, they did a great rumor guide on Goku's birthday, or the misassumption that people have that Goku's birthday is on the 16th. Where does that come from? Well, as it turns out, it comes from a nebulous string of citing unsubstantiated sources <laughs> that are popularized by, of course, you know, CVR articles, doesn't seem to have any supporting information. <laughs> And just someone added it in there. There's no actual written confirmation of Goku's birthday anywhere in official Japanese sources. So, no, like, yeah. So it's stuff like this. It's stuff like consensus rumor guides that do a great job of, like, dispelling all these, like, rumors and misinformation people have about the series that get propagated and popularized. So definitely, I so very much appreciate them. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I am not the least bit surprised that that tidbit came from somewhere like CBR. That just... I'm just not shocked by that. Um, I don't know if you were going to mention it, but if we haven't mentioned it already, because um, I think we mentioned it on a previous episode, but um, Consensu does have a Patreon now. I know I'm a supporter for sure, because as, as, as soon as I saw that they launched a Patreon, I was like, yeah, there's no way I can't support this. Um, you know, if you're a fan of, you know, if you like Consensu's work and, you know, if you're just a fan of Dragon Ball in general, like, please give to Consensu if you can. Please sign up for their Patreon so they can do more great work and, you know, support them as much as you can. Because, like, Consensu is a site worth supporting. I think we can both agree. Absolutely. No, we really appreciate their work. They're an invaluable resource for the Dragon Ball community. And absolutely, you should show them some love if you really support their work. 
And similarly, if you really enjoy Darren's work, definitely give Comics on the Spot a listen. Yes, yes. It is a fantastically fun show where comic creators just, you know, they jam out an idea and then they draw a comic based on their idea. And it's fun to listen to. And it's fun to see the finished comics as they are drawn and see them get published in Darren's Twitter feed. And it's just always a lot of fun to listen and follow along and see the comics to come out of it so definitely give the show a listen it's a really really fun time and definitely give just Darren a follow in general to keep up with his great comics because he posts a lot of really fun stuff and a lot of fun illustrations too now for other Dragon Ball podcasts we also want to recommend friend of the show we got a podcast from Randy and Doug they also do a lot of fun episodes they started recovering the Dragon Ball movies now they're moving on to just you know any topics that interest them and in particular recently I really enjoy their episodes on Plan to Eradicate the Saiyans which they had Mike on for to talk about the history of that project in terms of the video game and like the original animation that get compiled to like a OVA out of it and the remake version and so they had a really fun conversation about that project and how it came out of like this interesting time in Dragon Ball video game history where you know the latest video games are caught up to the story in the manga so they had to come up with their own story and what did they come up with and it's, it's really interesting to peel back the history of that oh yeah and I really enjoy their episode talking about the original DBZ dub that was syndicated in the mid 90s you know it's fun to hear them listen back to their nostalgia about listening to that dub and seeing it for the first time their thoughts on how it holds up today in terms of the performances and yeah it's really interesting you know to listen to any perspectives on people who grew up with the original DBZ dub I did watch it back in my childhood but like it's back when it was airing in reruns on you know Cartoon Network Toonami and then later on Toonami Jetstream so I missed it in its first run in syndication so definitely it's fun to hear about those experiences it's a bit of people who got up like in the wee hours of the morning on weekends or whatever day your local station chose to air it to catch the show and what a fun experience that was yeah that was that was a really interesting episode i i even sent in a comment for that episode uh if you listen um i didn't grow up on that version of the show at all like i don't think i've ever seen an episode really interesting i i know about like certain quotes and clips because uh the the, the whole time i was listening to that episode i just kept thinking like oh man Team Four Star has referenced that dub way more than I realized, which is pretty great. But yeah, I never watched it myself. Uh, I really only watched Dragon Ball Z when Funimation started doing their own dubs like in-house, so. Right. But it's surprising you missed the reruns because they did rerun those early episodes as well concurred with the Funimation dub because Funimation didn't redub those episodes until 2005 but even then after those episodes were redubbed Cartoon Network basically interrupted like their rerun of the series when they moved it to Toonami with the Saban dub like I guess the uncut dub wasn't doing well when they reran the uncut dub on Saturday so they switched it back to the Saban dub that's interesting so even up to 2006 they were still playing it off TV hmm. I say Saban dub I mean the Saban co-produced this Rudy Duck. It's, it's, it's important to remember. It was all Funimation. Funimation was always dubbing this series. 
Mm. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, because I I have memories of watching that uncut dub back in two thousand five. Because I was watching that every yeah. night it was on. So hmm, that's it. I, I might have been I might have watched those episodes. Just didn't know it then. I guess. Um. So that's that's really interesting. I didn't know that actually. But I mean, yeah. Go go listen to We Got a Podcast in general. I do want to quickly also shout out the episode they did on like you know fan created works. I thought that episode was really interesting, and it uh, they they talked about a lot of interesting stuff that I didn't know about, and that I checked out afterwards. So I thought that was cool. B- basically, think if we did like an, an entire community shoutouts episode. That's basically what it was. Yeah, and it's a wonderful sentiment to just shout out really cool stuff that people in the Dragon Ball fandom have been creating and were inspired by the series to make. But yeah, definitely check out We Got It Pod. It's a fun show if you're a fan of Dragon Ball. And I really enjoy just listening to thoughts on any topic they talk about. I look forward to what they'll talk about more in the future as well. But that does it for kind of... Toriyama related shout outs but I do have some stray comic shout outs a pair of them that I just enjoyed and thought would be of interest to folks and that's two videos that were recently made on the history of Bongo comic to Simpsons comics and these were two videos made by Simpsons Theory Lydia of Simpsons Theory and the real gens just in a funny chance of fate they both ended up publishing these videos within a week of each other they both just had mm. a great mind sink alike kind of idea and both made videos of on it at the same time. But what's great about it is that they come at it from two different approaches. Lydia in her video, she goes over the history and development of the Simpsons comics, including anecdotes from Bill Morrison, co-founder of Bonico Comics, about like its history and then what happened to it, why it ultimately ended up discontinuing and stuff like that. So that's a great historical overview on the publication history of it. And then Real Gems just goes into specific comics and points out some of the weirder stories and most fun stories. And he got a really fantastic voice actor to come in who just does an incredible job just impersonating like every character's voice like uh, this actor that he brought in Jaden Leiber and he's doing voices on stuff like Duncanville and he's done a lot of incidental work on a lot of current Fox shows but he is just fantastic like he really does spot on job impersonating like Smithers and Homer and Mr. Bird so that just made it a lot of fun just hearing him act out various sequences of the comics and it makes me want to see these like you know adapted and animated almost but i really enjoyed these two videos on some of this comic so if you like looking back on you know comics history and specifically comics history related to a very popular franchise i think these two videos are a great pair to watch and definitely i enjoy them a lot and yeah that does it for my shout outs for this episode you know a lot of great stuff to check out both in the world of Toriyama and Dragon Ball and outside. And there's even more to recommend when we get into our next Toriyama manga episode covering his first big hit, one of my favorites as well, Dr. Slump. And that's going to be a lot of fun. You'll definitely have more shoutouts that I'll be sharing there. And just the incredible conversation we'll be having there as well on that classic series. But I think until then, we're going to just head off into the wrap-up of the show. No, yeah, for sure. But like Lum just said, definitely tune in uh, next time when we do cover Dr. Slump. 
It was a really great conversation. I finally got to read Dr. Slump in its entirety for the first time, and uh, I had a lot of fun talking about it with some, again, some more really, really great guests that I can't wait for you guys to listen. And um, yeah, it's a good episode. Look forward to it. Uh, we're not done talking about Toriyama just yet. I mean, will we ever be done talking about Toriyama? I don't think so. Now we still have more series of his to cover, so definitely we'll be returning to him at a point in the future as well. For sure. But until next time, yes, we should definitely go ahead and um, plug ourselves and uh, where you can find the show. And Lum, why don't we start with you? Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Mamiyasha on Twitter. It's Lum Mamiyasha. A variety of places like Anisha Revolution, Analyst, Letterboxd, wherever there's a Lum Mamiyasha, that's you to find me. You can also read my reviews on MangaRevers.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out. Look forward to more there. That's where you can also find the other podcasts I do. Lum Squad, the Yours Gaps Are Focused podcast I do with my good friend, Andrew C. Yoshimaru, where it's Discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Mugahashi's classic manga, Yurusei Yatsura. We're having a lot of fun going through visits, new releases of the manga as they come out, as well as the anime, now that the films are available on streaming, thanks to Crunchyroll, as well as on Blu-ray from Discotech. And we are so excited to talk about the new reboot anime that is going to come out later this fall. And we have a lot of plans on how we want to cover that. And we're really excited for the show. It looks really, really good. And we're really, really excited to see what it's going to do to reimagine these wonderful stories that we'd love. So we are just so excited about it. And we would love for you, if you're a big Urusei fan or a Rumukadakashi fan or fan of this classic manga in general, much like, you know, Toriyama's classic manga and Dr. Slump for you to give us a listen. You can find us on Twitter at Lum underscore squad and on YouTube. Uh, just search for us in the channel bar and you'll find our channel. And of course, we're also on every podcast platform you can think of Apple Pockets, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. You know, you can find us there by that name. We also cross post episodes in the Mongo Arts feed and post episodes early up on the Mongo Arts Patreon. And if you enjoy the art I make, the illustrations I draw for our podcast and the animations and illustrations that I just make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram at setartworks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks uh, that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page and basically look up everything I'm doing, um, including stuff I'm not a part of anymore. Uh, and even guest spots and other shows I've done, you know, throughout my time podcasting. Uh, again, that's coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Click on the podcast page and check out all my other stuff. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast, basically depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's scheduled to come out on our main feed, we will post it on our Patreon first at the $2 tier. Admittedly, though, that really depends on our schedules and what we have done at any given time. So if you want more reliable content, uh, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, currently, our latest bonus podcast at the time of we're releasing this is the beginning of a new Manga Mavericks book club read-through. Uh, sort of a side podcast I'm doing on the Patreon where uh, I focus on a particular manga series that, uh, you know, that we might have covered on the show already, but I just wanted to talk about more. Or in the case of something like uh, we did an entire read-through of Saint Seiya, uh, I just wasn't able to be on for that episode to talk about it due to scheduling and everything. Uh, right now... 
Uh, we are talking about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 2, Battle Tendency. I am joined by my good friend, Grant. Uh, we previously covered Part 1, Phantom Blood, a couple years back, and uh, we are currently doing a read-through of Part 2, Battle Tendency. Uh, the first episode of that is up on our Patreon at the $5 tier. Please go listen to that. I'm having a lot of fun covering JoJo with Grant, and hopefully we can start recording Episode 2 of that pretty soon, and that'll be up within the next month or two. Um, so yeah, you could find that and so much more over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here. You know, it really helps us keep the lights on in terms of uh, both our podcasting and our website hosting. So again, please sign up at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We'd really appreciate any bit of support you're able to give us. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, uh, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Um, what do you think about Akira Toriyama and his many decades of work? What are some of your favorite one shots from Akira Toriyama's manga theater collection? What are you reading right now? You know, let us know what you're reading. Um, are there any manga that you're reading that you want us to talk about on the show? Maybe, uh, you know, email us about manga or the podcast or really anything. We love getting emails from you guys again at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts and even places like Spotify. Uh, if you leave us a rating and a review on there, you know, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it's positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. Uh, but that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 202 of the Manga Mavericks podcast, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 203. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.